If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Man, what a great interview we just did with uh, a gentleman by the name of Hal Elrod. He's a very high-rated keynote speaker, extremely motivational individual. But what's crazy about him was his story. I mean, uh, he died at the age of 20. He was hit head-on by a drunk driver at 70 miles per hour. His heart actually stopped for six minutes. He broke 11 bones. Eventually, he woke up from a coma, but the doctors told him he'd never walk again. And um, not only did he walk, but he actually ran a 52-mile ultra marathon. And then he became a Hall of Fame business achiever before the age of 30. And he kind of has this mentality and this method that helped him through that process. And Sounds crazy, but then it gets even crazier. In 2016, his kidneys, lungs, and heart almost all failed at the same time, and then he was diagnosed with a very rare and very aggressive form of cancer, which is even crazier, right? You would um, never think a guy that's gone through all this would have the attitude that this dude has. Like, and the energy. Oh, my God. You guys are going to see the energy this guy comes in with. Right. There's not a lot of people that come in this studio that I think infect us with that high a level of energy. And like to a point, too, where I went on to create different habits in my life afterwards, which is really cool. Like, Literally during the episode, as he's talking to us and telling us, because he has a book called The Miracle Morning and The Miracle Equation, which... You take practices from them and apply them. And these are things that he did for himself during these these times. And um, they were very effective. And he did such a good job communicating them to us on the podcast that Adam was like, I'm doing this tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to start doing this tomorrow. And I have been. So we, this is us releasing this episode, uh, you know, probably about a week after we had met with him. And, you know, I've already been doing some of the stuff that he talks about in his book. And it's already been a game changer for me. So I definitely think this is one of the more valuable interviews that we've brought in. I think the audience is going to love this one. Right. So you can go to his website, halelrod.com. That's H-A-L-E-L-R-O-D.com. He's also on Instagram. That's hal underscore Elrod. The two books that he has out uh, is The Miracle Morning and then the new one that just came out uh, that you can get, excuse me, pre-sale is called The Miracle Equation. Um, and he also has a special offer for our listeners if you pre-sale the book, uh, if you buy it now, The Miracle Equation, and you forward your receipt from your purchase to miracleequation at gmail.com, he's going to give you a bunch of free bonuses and stuff. Which is like coaching and things. He talked about that on the podcast a little bit. Uh, you'll hear it in the interview. And that's what he's, he's just added a ton of value uh, for people that do sign up for because I know he has mm -hmm. courses online that are valued at that much. He's also got a podcast. You can hear him talk. It's called Achieve Your Goals with Hal Elrod. So we know you're going to enjoy this uh, this episode. And also, before we get started on it, I do want to tell everybody that MAPS Split, this is one of our more advanced workout programs. It's a six-day-a-week program in the gym, lots of volume, lots of different exercises. Um, it can get very intense. It's designed for the advanced athlete who's interested in training like a bodybuilder, somebody who wants to sculpt and shape their body, who wants to build muscle, but is also relatively advanced, that program is 50% off. Uh, what you do to get the discount is go to MAPS Split, that's M-A-P-S-S-P-L-I-T, so there's two S's, dot com, and use the code SPLIT50, S-P-L-I-T-5-0, for the 50% off. And even want to check out our other MAPS programs, if MAPS Split is not right for you, if you're not advanced, there's too much volume for you, or if you have different types of goals, we have lots of other fitness programs that you can find on our other site, 
mapsfitnessproducts.com. And that's it. So without any further ado, here we are interviewing the extremely motivational Hal Elrod. Hal, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start you off if someone doesn't know about you. Uh, we got to we got to at least start the story because your your story is I- incredible. Uh, so I'd love for you to kind of introduce us to you know how this all got started, and then we'll dive into the book. And so the the car accident story is got to be where you start off this podcast for sure. Yeah, yeah. When I was 19 years old, I uh, I gave up my dream job as a radio DJ. Like I had just started on a big radio station and, uh, and it was the dream. And a buddy of mine was in sales. He sold Cutco cutlery, right? Like kitchen knives, in-home presentations, not door to door, but you called referrals, you scheduled appointments, you went and saw them and, and you, you know, you cut stuff on their table and you tried to sell them. And, and he tried to talk me into it our first year of college, like all the time, Oh, you should, you should sell knives. And I go, dude, I'm a DJ. Like I'm not a, sal- I'm yo pal Hal. That's right. I'm not a, I'm not a sales guy. And, uh, and one day I went, I was just happened to be with him when he went to his, the Cutco office and he, uh, he introduced me to his manager, Jesse Levine and Jesse is super charismatic, really authentic, cool guy. I'm like, so tell me about this selling knives gig. Like Teddy's always saying I should do this, but like, I have no interest in sales. Like what? It, and Jesse presented this like, Hey, no ceiling on your income. You set your own schedule, work around your DJ schedule. And I'm like, interesting like okay okay <laughs> so so i start training that weekend i'm djing midnight to 6 a.m because i'm the new guy i have the grunt shift at the radio station midnight to 6 a.m then i'm going to training from nine to five like i'm not sleeping for two or three days in a row and the second weekend of doing that i like veered off the road and was like okay i gotta quit one and uh and so i quit the radio station mm-hmm. and um in my first 10 days i broke the all-time company record i sold more cutco than anyone had ever and wow. so uh that and then that was like I, the credit goes to my mentor. Like he was, I, I was mean, say no sales background at all heading into this or was this your none. Fir- oh, first? Wow. And, and I always, people ask like, well, what were the keys to success? And I say, it, it's two th- two attributes that we all have access to. Number one is enthusiasm, right? Like I was just, you'll get that from like, I'm just genuinely get enthusiastic. I get excited, right? So I was really excited to where I always say it was like a tornado where the, the people across the table were like, oh, it's I don't even know half of what you just said, but like <laughs> this, you seem yeah. excited about these knives. We'll take yeah. them, you know? And the second thing was work ethic. I want what you're drinking. I want everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The five hour energy, which wasn't around back then. But, um, and they, uh, and the second thing was work ethic, which I didn't have growing up. It was like, I literally for the first time in my life decided to tap into it. I'm like, I, you know, I was like, I'm going to break this record. What do I have to do? My manager's like, you have to work harder than you've ever worked before in your life. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not really a hard worker. I'm kind of a lazy person, but okay. You know, and, but I committed, I did it. And, you know, and so, um, the, uh, a year and a half later, I was still one of the top sales reps. So I was, uh, I, I became known. I was, I spoke at all the events, like every conference, whether it was a office division, regional event, I spoke at all these events. And one night I gave a speech. Uh, so I was 20 at this point. It was a year and a half after I started and, uh, driving home from my speech that night. And I got a standing ovation at the speech, which was the first time that ever happened. So it was like a real, like surreal, like cloud nine. Oh my gosh. Like that was so, you know, called my mom and dad and, um, and, uh, uh a drunk driver, uh, got on the freeway heading the wrong way. He was going the opposite of, you know, the way I was going, I don't remember what I'm about to tell you. I like, I only know this from police reports and my best friend was a minute behind me on the freeway. He found me, but this drunk driver, I was in a brand new Ford Mustang. I had just bought and the Chevy full-size truck, uh, hit me head on at 80 miles an hour. Holy cow. And I, the worst was yet to come. It actually, um, you know, the airbags exploded. I bounced off the drunk driver. Thank God we didn't hit 
direct. I don't think you can survive that. We hit, I, I must have swerved at the last minute because we basically hit on his driver's side and my driver's side. So like my half, you know, one half of my car, one half of his car hit head on. My car spun off the drunk driver. And the worst was the car behind me. I spun, my car spun sideways and they crashed into my door at 70 miles an hour. And so if you're listening to this, like I always say, look over your left shoulder and imagine that you're, you're, you know, in a parked car or whatever car comes at you at 70 miles an hour, just hit you in the door. So the entire left side of my car was smashed into my body and I broke 11 bones instantaneously. My femur, the biggest bone in the human body, broke in half and one half speared out the side of my leg. Um, My pelvis was crushed between the center console and it broke in three separate places. My humerus bone behind my bicep snapped in half and came out behind my elbow. My elbow was shattered. I severed the radial nerve in my forearm. My eye socket was destroyed to the point of where it's made of titanium. I've seen that picture. Your eyes like... And the doctors thought that I'd be blind in that eye for sure. Like they had, you know, uh, my ear was almost completely severed. It was hanging on by about a half of an inch. And then the ceiling buckled from the impact and it like, a v- it turned into a V and it sliced the top of my head into a V. Oh and unable to withstand the pain, I'm very thankful that I, I was in a coma immediately. Hmm. And my best friend was a minute behind me, came on the scene got out, you know, it was like, he first, he couldn't even recognize the car. He just went like, oh, it was still moving. He said, it was like rolling across the highway. And he goes, holy crap, there's been this horrific accident. And then, you know, it took him about 10 seconds. He goes, oh my God, that's Hal's car. And he jumps out of his car, puts it in park, runs over. And, and, you know, the windshield was, sh- I mean, the window was shattered. So he was able to, you know, he's, he's, I mean, he's, you know, it's mid, it's almost midnight and he's going, Hal, Hal, Hal. And of course I'm in a coma, but he thinks I'm dead because I'm not responsive and blood's just running down my face. And, right. you know, and he, 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 you know, I'm not responsive. So he checks my pulse and I had a pulse and he called 911. And I guess a lady had been right ahead of him and she had already called 911. And when, uh, so fire department comes, you know, police come, they could not get me out of the car because the car that was crushed on the left side of my body was pinning me in. And, um, it took them an, uh, almost an hour, 50 minutes, five, zero minutes to use the jaws of life and cut the roof off and pull it back. Mm. And during that time, I was just losing blood. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't stop the blooding in my leg. It was all under the car. Right. And um, I lost so much blood that I died. And my heart stopped beating when they pulled me out. And I was clinically dead for six minutes uh, in a coma for six days. Six minutes? Six minutes. And they rushed me onto a um, medevac helicopter Mm. and uh, airlifted me. And they, you know, used the defibrillators and put me, hooked me up to an IV and pumped blood back in me. And six minutes later, they got my heart to beat again. And, uh went to the hospital in critical condition and now, yeah now when something like that happens where someone's dead for six minutes like is it just by luck that you get somebody who says let's keep trying or would, could somebody right. just say he's pronounced dead like he yeah. just put a tag on you and that's it right no and that's i used to always say that in my speech i'd go thank god they didn't give up after five minutes right you know? yeah and i don't i don't know what protocol is you yeah. know right um but yeah but they kept they kept trying I mean, i'd imagine that while i'm on the medevac they're probably like hey let's keep trying let's keep trying mm-hmm. let's keep trying um and uh went to the hospital, went to emergency surgery. My parents were, Jeremy, my best friend, called my parents from like right after, I think they, I think from the scene of the accident and just said, Hal's in a horrific, you know, my dad, they woke him out of bed, mom and dad. And, uh, and my poor parents, my, my baby sister, when I was eight, my 18 month old sister, year and a half year old sister, Amory, uh, died in my mother's arms of a heart failure. Wow. So my, mom and dad had already lost a child. Like they had lost their youngest child. And then now they get a call that like Hal's in critical condition and they, they lived, you know, they were two and a half hours away. So they had to drive two and a half hours, not knowing if I'd be dead or alive when they got there. Wow. 
And I always say, as a dad now, like my mom and dad had it worse than me. Like I wasn't, I wasn't even awake. For, I was unconscious during this. Like to me, sure. as a parent, I would have rather been, you know, me kid, than right. them. Like that, that to me, that's the worst thing ever. And so, um, when they got there, I was in critical condition. I had to go into emergency surgery. Uh, I had like six surgeries in the next, you know, few days. I flatlined twice more um, during those six days. And when I came out of the coma, they said I'd be in a coma for like a year. I came out of the coma six days later and I had to face this reality. And doctor said, you, you know, you have permanent brain damage. Uh, you're probably never going to walk again. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, and you got a lot of broken bones. I mean, we really don't know how, how this, th- and so they you said. you died three times. Three times. Yeah, yeah. Three times, technically. Wow. wow. Now, uh, I read a little bit about your story. When, you're, when you came out of the, co- the coma, you had no short-term memory. Yeah, and my wife will tell you it's still not so great. But uh, <laughs> but no, but I mean, literally, it was it it was like that movie was it Memento or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, like, everything's happened backwards or whatever. Uh, no, no, it's just where he couldn't remember like every day. Oh, yeah, 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 that's yeah. where he tattoos yeah, yeah. himself, right? So so it was like you could you know you guys could be longtime friends. Now I didn't I had long I didn't have any long term like I knew who you were, but you could come to the hospital sit with me for three hours, you know, we could talk about what was going on and all this stuff. You could go to lunch and come back and I'd be like, Adam, did you hear that I was in a car accident? You're like, dude, I just spent three hours with you. I'm like, you did? Wow. What? Right? And so that was a very gradual progression for the memory to come back. Do you remember the first time that you put that together, that you realized that yourself, like when that happened? Well, so... So here, yeah. So here's the not exactly. It's it's very fuzzy those first couple of weeks. I bet. But but I can tell you the first kind of the first story I remember the first experience and it's 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 really profound. Um, it was I was out of the coma for a week. So just for the timeline, right? Car accident happens in a coma for six days. One week later, the doctors call my parents in, and they sit them down for like just kind of an update on my condition. And they said, um. So, hey, uh, physically, Hal's, Hal's stable, right? Because, like, that was, you know, that was literally, like, don't die. Like, that was the thing. It was like, yeah, walk again, whatever. That's secondary. Like, we just want our son to, live, you know, be alive. And so the doctor said, he's, he's made it through the worst. He, it looks like he's going to be with you for a long time. Like, he's, you, he's stable. <clears throat> they said, but mentally and emotionally, we're concerned. Um, Hal, we, we think that Hal is in denial <clears throat> uh, or some, for, some form of being delusional. Because every time we, the doctors, the therapists, the counselor, the psychologist, interact with Hal, he's always smiling and joking and, and, and making us laugh. And they said, that, frankly, that's not normal. You know, for a 20-year-old young man that's being told he's never going to walk again. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this before where some accident victims, like, their, their reality is so painful, but instead of going into depression... They just deny it. They just deny it. And they're like, everything's fine! And, and he said, they said eventually he has to face this, you know, and he's probably covering up emotions like sadness and fear and anger and depression. Mm. And and we'd like you to go talk to him and find out how he's, you know, quote unquote, air quote, right, really feeling and get him to admit it because it's a safe place here and we can walk him through it. Out in the real world, it, it's going to hit him and he's going to, he could turn to drugs or alcohol or suicide or who knows, right? So get it, see, you know, see if you guys can get him to admit how he's really feeling and come to grips with that. So my dad comes in and I don't, I knew he met with the doctors, I didn't know the conversation and he sits next to the bed and I think I was watching Oprah at the time. Like I watched Oprah every day. She was like my inspiration. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he goes, Hal, can I talk to you? And his voice kind of cracked and I look over at him and his, you know, his eyes are welled up with like tears and I knew he met with the doctor. So I'm going, Oh sh like, Oh crap. What, what did they tell, tell him? Yeah. Well, what? Oh God. What's the news? I turn off the TV. I'm like, dad, what, what's up? 
and he expresses the doctor's concerns about delusion, denial, that I'm covering up these emotions. And he said, Hal, look, I know you like to be, you're a positive guy, but like what you've been through is, you know, like me and your mom are a mess. Like we can't imagine what you're going through. It's okay Mm -hmm. to feel sad and angry, depressed. How are you really feeling? And, you know, I could looking at my dad's face, like I could tell the anguish and I, I, I kind of, I went, you know, looked like, looked off to the distance and like thought about it. And I'm like, am I really covering up my emotions? Am I sad and angry and depressed? And it, it, I mean, it took me less than 30 seconds. And I looked at my dad and I said, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. And I smiled. He said, what do you mean? I said, don't you remember I live by the five minute rule? He said, remind me. And I go, God, I've told you and mom this so many times. You'd be so much happier if you just listened to me. <laughs> I said, I learned this in my Cutco training, in my sales training, which is it's okay to be negative when something goes wrong, but not for more than five minutes. And my manager, literally, my mentor taught me, you, you set your timer on your phone for five minutes and you get five minutes to feel bad, to, to be upset, angry, pitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, like whatever. But there's no value in, like, you can't, you feel your emotions, give yourself that space. But after five minutes, you would teach us, say, three very powerful words. Mm. Can't change it. And you remind yourself, I can't change it. It it already happened. So as an intelligent human being who wants to be happy and successful and productive, Mm -hmm. there's no value in wishing I could change something that's out of my control. I said, Dad, it's been two weeks since the accident. My five minutes is, it's long up. (laughs) I said, and and I said, and and here's the lesson for everybody. Like, this is real, I think this is really important. I said, Dad, I can't change that I was in a car accident. I can't change that I broke these bones and I may never walk again. I don't know. I said, but the way that I see it, there are two possibilities here. Number one, the doctors are right and I never walk again. And I said, and if that's reality for me, the only choice I would have is to be the happiest, most grateful I could ever be while I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life. And I said, I'm not gonna let the wheelchair define my quality of life or my emotional state. I said, but that's only one possibility and I've accepted it, so I'm at peace with it, so it has no control over me. I'll never feel bad about if I'm in a wheelchair forever. I said, but guess what? That's not the only option. And option number two, I don't know if it's, there's no one knows if it's possible, but the option is I will walk again. And I said, and I've decided that that's where my energy's going. I've accepted the worst case scenario, but I'm dwelling on the possibility of walking. I visualize it every day. I imagine it. I pray about it. I, I'm thinking about it. I said, so it's this simultaneous, like I've accepted the, uh, the worst, so it has no power over me. I'm hoping for the best, but my eggs are not in that basket. Like if it doesn't happen, I fall back on being happy in a wheelchair. And I think for everybody listening, like I, I, when I give a speech, I always say to the audience, like I pause and go, look, what's your wheelchair? What's the experience in your life, whether it's happening now, maybe it happened in your childhood, but it causes you emotional pain, but it's out of your control. And you need to make a conscious choice to accept it. And that doesn't mean you're happy about it, but it's more powerful than being happy. Happiness is an emotion. It could change with a phone call, right? You're happy one minute, you get some bad news, now you're upset. It's not about happiness. We're, we're seeking peace. And it's through the power of acceptance that you give yourself the gift of peace with anything and everything that could ever happen to you. Right. And so when you're at peace, it's, it's not emotionally positive or negative. It's neutral. And it allows you to think clearly and make and choose any emotion that would best serve you. Right. When you're in traffic for, I love, I love this example. Cause like you don't need to be in a horrific car accident for this to work. Like raise your hand if you hate traffic. Great. Everybody raise their hand. So when I hit traffic, I use the same lesson. I used to be like, Oh, son of a go faster. Like, like think about how silly it is that we spend 30 minutes in traffic, frustrated, anxious, tense, stress. Like yeah, why energy? Wasted energy, you can't change the traffic. So now I go, I can't change the traffic, can't change it. 
I'm going to be the happiest and most grateful for the next 30 minutes. And I, what emotion would best serve me? Mm-hmm. I want to be happy. I want to be grateful. I want to be excited about my goals. I want right? Like, that's it. And it, it's a micro, that traffic example is a microcosm for life. You can apply the, you know, the five minute rule, the can't change it philosophy to whether, you know, to anything, a loss, a job loss, a breakup, a car accident, traffic. I mean, you name it, right? It, it's unconditional. Anything that happens, it, that's not what determines your emotional state. We think it is. We point, of course I'm upset. Look at what she did. Look at what he said. Look at what I lost. Look at what happened. It's never the thing. It's always our resistance to our reality. It's wishing and wanting it were different that causes our emotional pain. It's always self-created and it's always optional. And we give ourselves freedom from emotional pain, no matter what it is, it's unconditional freedom by accepting it as it is and choosing peace. This is beautiful. This is uh, ancient wisdom that you're repeating. It's a serenity prayer. I mean, right? Yeah, Yeah, this is stoicism. Uh, Eckhart Tolle talks about this, that the reality is not nearly as bad as our resistance to to reality. did, Did this speed up your healing process, having this attitude? I mean, I can only imagine. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. Before I answer that, I want to tell you that uh, I read Eckhart Tolle probably three years after my car accident, and it he, it put into words. I'm like, oh, that's what I was. That's what I was doing. Yeah. That's why I felt no emotional pain. I don't, you know, like, right? I mean, that was it. Um, did it speed up my healing? Yeah. Here's what happened: is so that conversation with my dad you know, with the doctors, with my parents, and then my dad with me and me saying, dad, I'm at peace with it, right? That happened a week after I came out of the coma, two weeks after the crash. One week later, now the doctor said I would never walk again. Now, in my mind, I thought maybe in like a year, you know, six months to a year, like my body's broken, it's got to heal, right? Um, so that, I wasn't thinking it would happen that fast, but a week after the conversation with my dad, the doctors came in with routine x-rays into my hospital room. I'm laying in my bed. Mom and dad are there, you know, and um, they said, hey, we don't know how to explain this, but Hal's body is healing so quickly. Hal, you can take your first step tomorrow in therapy. Wow. I mean, three weeks after the crash. And, I, you know, I like I always say. I don't have a graph that shows the parallel of my mindset with the bones healing. Like I don't have the graph, but I have a picture of me taking my first step the next day. Mm. Right. And I believe, and then, you know, we'll probably get into the story because it really is what gave birth to the new book. Um, But two years ago, I was diagnosed with a very rare aggressive form of cancer and they gave me a 30% chance of surviving. And I always tell, Mm. um, you know, if you're a pessimist, I say that's a 70% chance you're going to die right? 70% is a pretty high probability. I mean, right? Not very good. And I, I immediately referenced this thing that we'll talk about today called the miracle equation. And I immediately referenced how it was the miracle equation that I used to take my first step in three weeks. And so I, like the, the day I was diagnosed, my wife was terrified. Of course I was scared. I mean, I had more to lose than ever with kids now. Um, but at the same time, I told my wife, I said, sweetheart, two things. Number one, I believe in the mind's body, the the mind's ability to heal the body. And number two, I believe this cancer will be the best thing that ever happened to me. I said, I know that's hard to hear. I know you probably in no way believe that. I said, but the accident was the best thing that ever happened to me because it enabled me to become the person that I needed to be to help other people. To it, it gave birth to my life's work. It, I became stronger on and on. I said, and this is probably going to be even more difficult to overcome. And therefore, on the other side of this adversity, which is true for all of our adversity, every single one of us, if we take it in a positive, proactive manner and we approach our adversity that way, 
there is a better version of us waiting on the other mm-hmm. side every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And it, it ended up, you know, being true. And that's regardless yeah, of the outcome. Totally that's, the, that. that's the thing people need to understand. Because I think sometimes people go in and thinking if they have the right attitude, they'll get what they want. When in reality, it's no. Having the right attitude means you're going to be okay with whatever happens. Yep. Which is totally different. When you got diagnosed with cancer, were you like, oh. Yeah. Okay. I've been talking about this for the last, however, I almost died. Yeah. Yeah. And Here how long was it until you then got diagnosed? What do you mean? How long was it? Like or after the accident? Two years, you said, right? No, no, no. It was two years ago. ago. So two it's years been ago. the oh, accident ago, so. was nineteen years ago. Okay. okay. So it was seventeen years later that I had the yeah. Okay. And yeah, and uh, Sal, to your point, I'm like, you know, I'm looking up to the heavens, going, dude, what? <laughs> I already <laughs> right. died. Like that was my big to do. Struck by lightning now? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Right. Um. And there's that story. I can't remember that guy's name. Do you know the guy that he? Uh, I don't remember which order it was, but he he um almost died in a plane crash. And got paralyzed in the plane crash. No, no. So, okay. So that happened second. So first he crashed on his motorcycle and burned his entire body with third degree burns. This happened like 30 years ago. I can't remember his name. But, and then, so, right. So he's, his whole body's burned. He, he barely survived it. You know, I mean, and then got in a plane crash and got paralyzed like four years later or something. Right. So I'm like, I'm that guy. What the hell? <laughs> um, but Hopefully yeah. So lottery, you might win. Some, you know? yeah, no, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I mean, I definitely questioned it, but, but here's the thing. I did not question it from a victim mentality. It wasn't like a, what the hell? Why is this happening to me? It right. was like, what am I supposed to learn from this one? Yeah. Mm. Right. And, and, and a lot, I mean, really a lot, it, you know, it's it, the greatest lessons that I've learned, um, you know, from the cancer journey kind of compounded onto what I learned from the accident. And because of the accident, granted, um, I immediately was able to reference this. Right. You had the tools now. I, yeah. I was like, oh dude, I've already, I've been through something like this. I already know you take it head on, you focus positively, but, but there was, there was tons, there were so many days I woke up and I'm like, this, it's such a rare, it's called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Most people die. I was almost dead. Like when I, um, I was on my deathbed when I went to the hospital, like my, my kidney, my lung was collapsed. My left lung was collapsed. It had collapsed 11 times and been, had to have the fluid drained over like two weeks. Um, they drained like eight, like 16 pounds of fluid out of my lung over two weeks. Um, my uh, kidneys were on the verge of failing and my heart was on the verge of failing. In fact, when I went to the hospital, the first hospital didn't discover the heart thing and they sent me to one of the best cancer hospitals in the world for a second opinion. And they're like, hey, so your heart is surrounded by a sack of fluid. If it increases by even an eighth of an inch, your heart is going to stop beating. You're going to go into cardiac arrest and we're going to have to perform open heart surgery. So they go, we need to get you into the ER right now and we need to stick a needle in your heart and drain your heart fluid. And I had to sign a release saying, this is a very dangerous procedure because the fluid is like, the sack is like a a fourth of an inch thick or whatever. And if your heart even beats a big beat, it could puncture your heart. And that will also send you to cardiac, right? Like, yeah. So it was like, it was just, it was, it was crazy, Mm -hmm. you know? And and then, and yeah. So, so in the accident, you're a young kid, you haven't developed these techniques yet. Um, Later on you get cancer, you have children, but you have these techniques both incredible struggles. Which one was more difficult? Was it easier the second time around because you've you had been practicing, or was it more difficult because of the fact that you had a family? It was more difficult um, because I had a family first and foremost. Like I'm very at peace with death. Like it's part of the acceptance thing. I'm like, sure. look, death's inevitable, so it, whatever. I don't. I'm, I, whenever I die, I die, and that's okay, right? Like I'm very at peace with it. Leaving my kids without a father is a very tangible mm. result, right? Like that. That's that's horrible. There's nothing more important to me than my kids, right? And there's not, and like my ability to influence them and shape who they become um, is my greatest responsibility. 
And so that was the greatest fear. It wasn't dying. I didn't like dying is that that's personally, I'm fine with it. Um, leaving my kids without a dad is her, is a horrific thought to me. Right. Um, and so that's a, that's a, and I also know that they're not old enough to understand the lessons that like when they're 18, I think they'll, they'll get all this stuff and they'll be at peace with me dying when they're eight. You know what I mean? Like, right. right. I mean, it won't be easy, but, but, but they're too young to get it. You know, and like I had, I started writing like wills. I'm like, hey, sweet, you guys, like if I, if I die, you know, I told my wife, I'm like, you know, they need to watch this video and they need to like, they need to understand this can't change a philosophy and they need to understand the way their dad thinks. And, and I wrote him a letter like, you know, that guys like be at peace with it. I'm always with you, you know? So, and like having, I'm getting teared up, like Hmm. (sighs) having to write those letters, you know, it was super hard. Um, But so, yeah, so that, so it was much harder. Um, also, I think because of the brain damage, that's part of what made the accident easier to go. You know, part of it is I think I was like, I was all loopy and I didn't remember, you know, stuff. So I think it kind of made it even easier maybe to deal with the accident. Right. It was also a much shorter time. I was only in the hospital for, you know, six weeks and with cancer, I was in the hospital off and on for eight months. I mean, I'm still, I still have to do like chemo and, and that's actually a really hard part. So I watched a documentary I don't know, 10 years ago called healing cancer from the inside out. And it was all about the cancer industry and, you know, just, and, and chemo, how it's sure. a, it's a horrific, it's a bad solution. It's like, you're poisoning the body, trying to kill the cancer before they kill the person half the time. I mean, I don't know, you know, the exact stat, but they kill the person, but we're from the chemo, not the cancer. Right. So, so I was, I was very, I guess you the anti chemo. I'm like, and, and this, this documentary is like, well, here's how you make the body heal cancer. Like, body creates cancer or the toxins you put in it do the body can heal itself so I had always I was living an anti-cancer lifestyle like no chemicals in my house no I mean I was like I'm like a hippie like my Mm -hmm. shampoos have no chemicals I eat no chemicals I eat the cleanest diet so when the doctor when the first doctor was like you could have cancer or something we don't know what it is right you need a second opinion I'm like definitely not cancer I'm like I like live the most Mm anti-cancer lifestyle ever so when it was cancer I'm like what and then, I, but then my plan of like, if I ever got cancer, I'm like, how, how can I, I already like do everything you would do to not, to cure cancer naturally. Right. I'm like, maybe there's some stuff that I, you know, I need mm-hmm. to eat less vegan ice cream, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I maybe, you know, I'm like, but I don't know. So when I met with my oncologist, I said, Hey, no offense, but I, uh, you know, I, I'm not a, I don't really believe in chemo, you know, and not, you know, I mean, that's this whole world. So not, not, a, you know, not, not making friends there. But, um, I said, so I'd like to cure this cancer holistically can you support me in that and he said Hal I I appreciate that you want to do that but you don't have a cancer that you have the luxury of even trying that he said a a tumor that's slow growing yeah you could try some natural stuff we can monitor it if it doesn't work then maybe we go to chemo he said you were healthy a week ago and now you're on the verge of dying and he goes I would give you between three days and maybe a week before you're dead if you don't start chemo wow and I took that, right? I didn't know this guy's heart. I didn't know his intentions. I just met him. So I took that as a scare tactic, right? And yeah. I, I, I mean, in my head, I'm kind of like big uh, F you. I'm like, mm-hmm. screw you, buddy. Like, right? Like, you're not going to scare me to doing chemo. But oh, that's, I'm a little, okay, I'm a little scared. Right? <laughs> so I'm like, can I have 24 hours to like basically consult Dr. Google is what I'm thinking, right? And so, and my wife's sitting there just bawling. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just, it was tough. And I, we went home and we, we start Googling. And find out that oh he's not exaggerating like this is uh, like this cancer kills you in days or weeks, hmm. and so it was so hard like every fiber of my being and my belief system to be like I'm gonna poison my body and and by the way because of my cancer the chemotherapy regimen that I underwent is the 
It's aggressive, isn't it? One of the most, if not the most aggressive chemotherapies in existence. And to give you, you know, like I have an aunt who just had cancer and she would go in for chemo like an hour a month. I had a hundred hours every three weeks of chemo. I was hooked up to an IV and I would get four to five of the most powerful chemo drugs on the planet for 12 hours at a time and then another drug for 12 hours and then another drug for 12 hours and then they would rotate and I would do four days in a row and then have like a three week break and then five days in a row. I, I lost a fourth of my body weight in three, I went from 167 pounds at six feet tall mm. to 127 pounds. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's, it's a horrific chemo. And so what I did is my strategy when I'm like, first of all, I was like, okay, how soon can I quit the chemo? Maybe if it, you know, if it gets rid of the cancer, I can quit after one round or two rounds. I was supposed to do eight rounds. And what I decided to do was I thought, okay, I'm going to do my holistic cancer treatment. I'm going to research and do everything that I would do if chemo wasn't in the plan and I'm going to do it with the chemo. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do coffee enemas. I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, I was taking like 70 supplements a day. I was organic juicing. I was, I cleaned up my, I took all my sugar. I mean, I just went like hard. I did chemo or um, uh, acupuncture. I did ozone sauna. I did, right? Like I did everything holistic in addition to the chemo. So at least I was, and, and, and it's the stuff that, you know, I'd ask my doctor about everything I would do. And he literally was like, he had no idea, right? They don't sure. learn it in medical school. I'm like, Hey, how do I de- detox my liver? He's like, Oh, we do a saline flush after your chemo. I'm like, how about milk thistle? How about coffee enemas? How about, you know, right. And he's like, uh, I, mm-hmm. what do you do? Whatever you want to do. As long as you do chemo, that was always his answer. Like, I don't know anything about that stuff. You do it. Yeah. That's fine. You know. Now, during this whole process, you know, part of what you talk about is you're also making peace with the fact that maybe it doesn't work. Sure. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How does one do that? Because that's so tough. It even got you choked up a little bit earlier. Like, wh- what does that process look like? Do you have to envision worst case scenario and make peace with it, or yeah, and you, you and you do that on the front end, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so I'll use the car accident as the first example, right? Sure. So I, I I I went okay. If I never walk again, what's that look like? I'll be in a wheelchair the rest of my life, okay? Um, okay. What would that be like? Uh, how, you know, and then I just picture myself, well, I can, I could choose to be the happiest and the most grateful human being in a wheelchair that you've ever seen. And that is my choice. And so I, so instead of visioning myself in a wheelchair going, Oh, poor me, I'm like, all right, well, I'd be giving speeches in a wheelchair. I'd be doing, you know, I'd live in life in a wheelchair. Like there's a lot of people live life in a wheelchair. That's not a bad thing. I mean, it is what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So I made peace with it. And then once you accept it and make peace with it, you kind of compartmentalize it off to the side. Right. So now it's not like consuming your. So if you could actually have a visual, like imagine taking it out of your, like grabbing it out of your brain, right? Setting it over to the side, being like, all right, there's the worst case scenario. I'm at peace with it. It's not the worst case scenario is not mm-hmm. even that bad. Like I, I can be happy in the worst case scenario. Right. Got it. Cool. Right. So, and then what that, that's what it allows you to do is now I got to focus 99% of my energy on what I wanted. And the vision mm-hmm. for walking again and, and creating what I wanted. And, and again, believing in the mind-body connection. And there's a lot of science around this. Like, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza has his book, You Are the Placebo, which mm-hmm. goes in, he's much more scientific than I am, right? But, but it explains the science of like how your body, your brain, what you think literally, cre- it manipulates your cells and your DNA and, you know, right? Um, that's why stress is a killer because you're thinking stressful thoughts and you're killing your body, right? So when I got cancer, it was a slightly different, more difficult process. Mm. You know, if it was just me and I was a single dude with no kids, I'd be like, all right, so worst case scenario, I die. That's not a problem. I'm like mm. at peace with that, right? So writing those wills was really part of that process of acknowledging yeah, it, was, it. So the worst case scenario was worse because it was yeah. my kids, right? Yeah. But it was still, okay, so the worst case scenario is I'm not going to live through this, right? Mm. So what is what are the best things that I can do 
to prepare for that. Got it. Right? So, and it was preparing my kids for that. So it was recording video. I recorded videos for my wife and for my kids. And mm. like, here's the message to them, right? I wrote some letters and some journal entries. I like, I put, you know, I just, I, I, I decided, I wrote a list of here's the books that you guys need to read and at what age and in what order, right? Like I made a plan for, and, and, and I think maybe just the most important part was in the video and the letter I wrote was like, guys, dad's never gone. If you're watching this, my physical body's not here, but guys, we're more than our body. Like, <clears throat> I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm all, you can talk to me. I'm always here. <clears throat> so, so that, so I did that. And then I put it aside. I'm like, all right, I, there's no point in me putting, living in fear, right? Like, you know, that just manifests the fear. So like I, I put all, I put together there, you know, if, if I die package, right. And it was like, all right, the kids have that. And then I, and my wife, of course, I told her everything. And then here's where the, the new book, you know, comes into play. Ironically, the, the book's called The Miracle Equation. And, and you came up with this ap- during this process? Before. Way before. So what's, that's the irony. Like anyone that follows The Miracle, you know, the mir- if you're one of the million people that's read The Miracle Morning, you'd be like, oh, so The Miracle Equation's like the follow-up. And while it's the, it is the follow-up, both in timing of the book release and really in the process, and I'll explain what I mean by that, how the two kind of work together, the chronology of when I came up with it the miracle equation I invented when I was 20 years old and I was trying to break a company sales record. And I did, it was such an impossible record that I, I was like, dude, if I were to do this, it would be a freaking miracle. Hmm. I'm like, I need a formula to create a miracle. What would that look like? And that's where I created the miracle equation when I was 20. And then one, and we can get into that whole story, but, and then it ended up, it worked. And then I, and then I started to go, dude, was that a coincidence that it like all came together and it came together in miraculous fashion? And then I was like, I'm going to try teaching it to my colleagues because I was coaching some of my colleagues that time and see if it works. I taught it to my colleagues and every single one, literally a hundred percent, it was like a dozen people I was coaching. They applied it and every single one of them went out and, and surpassed anything that they had ever done. Some broke all time records. Some just broke their own personal best. Right. And I was like, Dude, that's not a coincidence. Like if it happened every single person for them that I taught it to, not a coincidence. So then I start, like it kind of, I had an epiphany. I'm like, this is really, the the miracle equation is made up of two decisions, right? And I go, I stopped and I like realized, I go, these are the same two decisions that every successful person in the world that's ever achieved extraordinary results these are the same two decisions that they made, like whether they made a huge contribution to the world or they, whatever. And then I looked back and I was like, wait a minute, this is, these are the two decisions that I made unknowingly when I had my car accident that allowed me to have that miracle of taking my first step. Hmm. Right. And I like it, I just started to see the implications and I, and I really thought I was like, I started to think, I'm like, dude, I should like write a book about this one day. And, you know, and then the miracle morning, six years later, uh, was a totally separate thing. And it was like, uh, my ch- I did this morning routine. My life changed so fast of uh, doing it. In two months, I was talking to my wife and I'm like, sweetheart, because we were, it was 2008 when the economy crashed. I was deep in debt. This was the miracle morning creation, right? I, fi- I had to figure out how do I get myself out of this debt and I'm in this depression, I'm a mess. And um, I realized that I'm like, what do the world's most successful people do that I don't? And I was like, oh, they all have morning routines, but I'm not a morning person. So then I decided, I'm like, I'm going to create the ultimate morning routine, like the ultimate and I'm going to do it for a month. I'm going to see what happens. And in two months, I doubled my income. I went from being in, in the in the horrible economy. Economy didn't change, but I doubled my income in the 2008 economy. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically to deciding I was, and I hated running. I was never a runner. 
So I thought, what a way to grow. I'm going to commit to running a 52-mile ultra marathon. I've never run more than a mile in high school PE class. <laughs> Who would I have to become to run 52 miles in a day? I don't even know that guy, but I want to meet him. I want to become him. So, it, so my life changed so fast from this morning routine that I was talking to my wife and I was like, sweetheart, I'm like, dude, we're, we're, we're like money's, we're, we're going. I go, it, this morning routine's like a freaking miracle. And she goes, it's your miracle morning. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's my miracle. So I started, I, yeah, I started, well, that was before it was a book idea. I started writing yeah. my schedule as miracle morning. And then one of my coaching clients was like, do you have a morning routine? I'm like, oh my God. And I told her and same thing, all my clients taught it to all of them. All, every single one's like, dude, I'm not a morning person. I'm like, I know I wasn't either. Look, here's some tricks. Here's how you beat the snooze button. Here's, and every single one came back. They're like, hell, I started running. I read two self-help books. I just had the best week in my sales career on and on and on. And so let me sum this part up by saying this. The miracle morning is a process for personal development or let's say a practice. It's your daily practice for personal development. And it's, it hinges on the Jim Rohn philosophy that your level of success will never exceed your level of personal development, right? Or rarely exceed your level mm-hmm. of personal development. In other words, it's who you become through personal development that determines the mindset, the habits, the beliefs, the confidence that you have that then you take out into the world and it, it, your results are a result of who you've become. Right. So to me, that's the foundation, right? And that's what Miracle Morning is. It's your practice for personal development. But what I, what I realized, you know, publisher reached out to me and they're like, hey, do you have another book in you? I'm like, I've got a book that's been on my heart for like, I mean, what is it now? 19 years or whatever. I was like, it's called The Miracle Equation. I don't know if it's as marketable, you know, I don't blah, blah, blah. And uh, and I said, but here's what, what it is. The Miracle Morning is your practice for personal development, but it, it's only half the equation, so to speak, because you can be the most personally developed person in the world. And we all, I'm guilty of this. You know, in the past, I was a personal development junkie. And a lot of us do this, right? Where we read book after book after book, and we think that that's progress. And it is internally, but you could be the most personally developed person on the planet, but still stay in your little office or room, read your books, and still be scared to go out there and and courageously go after your biggest goals and dreams. And I think that's the majority of society. Majority of society doesn't do personal development. Those that do, a small percentage actually implement what they read. Most people, when they finish a book, they just start another book. And they feel great about that book they just read. And they feel like, I'm the man. I just, I learned so much. I can't wait to read the next book on my shelf. And then they finish that one. And all they do with the information is start forgetting it as they're reading the next book and the next book and the next book. So to sum it up, the miracle morning is your practice for personal development. The miracle equation is your process for goal achievement. Mm, And the subtitle says it all. It's the two decisions that move your biggest goals from possible to probable to inevitable. Like, can we give some of our audience some tangible points from For sure. your books? Like, oh, well, let's yeah. start with the. the well, I want to start with this. I mean, this is I, one of the things I was. Does most he always ex- cut you off like I that? I do. So? I do. <laughs> I do. Because you, you said something, and I didn't want to interrupt okay, no. you. Thank you. When yeah, you cut said him off, it. not right, me. Right, right. <laughs> and I and I did want to stop you because it's part of what I was excited to talk to you about was. I'm that guy. I'm I'm not a morning person. In fact, I knew you're coming in today. I set my alarm like two, three hours early to do some things, and I fucking snoozed away on it anyways. Right. <laughs> All right. So just being honest, All right, we're so, gonna do a little therapy session. Right. Today. So <laughs> I, and you mentioned you know you have some tactics and things that you coach somebody like me through that. Give it to me. Yep. What what are, what are some of the things I can break out of being this guy who claims he's not a morning person? So the, yeah, there's a chapter in the miracle morning and I'm going to give it, I'm just going to give it away right now. You're going to get it all, Adam. But, um, the, uh, the chapter is called the five steps newsproof wake up strategy. 
And uh, a shorter version of it is, I would call it, it, it only takes five minutes to become a morning person, right? And the, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a four, it's actually, it was a blog article that I wrote when I was like writing the book and I was thinking, you know, and it's the linchpin of the book. Like that's the interesting part is it barely, it almost didn't make it in there and I'd put it in. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think the Miracle Morning has sold millions of copies. Like, because people would have read the book and been like, oh God, this makes sense. Yeah. How I start my day is the most important improvement I can make in my life because it sets the tone, the direction, the context for the rest of my day. If I win the morning, I'm going to win the day and I'm going to create, I'm going to create the things I want in my life. Um, they would have been convinced of that and they would have been all geared up. And as soon as the excitement wore off, they would have been like, oh, I did it for like three days. And then I was like, oh, forget it, snooze. And they would have gone back to their old pattern. So here's these, the five steps. I'll try to remember all of them. The most important step is um, the, uh, I'll start with the most important. If you only do one thing, this is it. Move your alarm clock as far across the room as possible. It sounds so simple, but I was being introduced by a CEO at this event in New York with a bunch of CEOs. And he goes, I hope Hal's going to share this because this was the game changer for me. It was the simplest tip. You could teach it to a kindergartner. He said, you move the alarm clock across the room. And here's why. Most of us keep our phone, our alarm clock, yeah, within arm's reach. When it goes off in the morning, you don't even have to open your eyes to hit the snooze button. And your level of discipline in those first few seconds is like a a one or zero on a scale of one to 10. But if your alarm clock's across the room, and for me, I keep it on my bathroom sink next to where I'm going to execute step two, which is brush my teeth and wash my face. Real simple. The idea is that these five steps, a kindergartner can do them. Because you're about as disciplined as a kindergartner when you wake up in the you know for the first two minutes of your life right of the day right oh, yeah. so you don't want like advanced complicated right it's like no no you want to be able to do things while you're half asleep like a zombie so you're on across the room and when you have to get out of bed and walk across the room as simple as it sounds you, you, here's a way to think of it I talk about in the book I say your it's your wake up motivation level. Right, like when we wake up in the morning, you, you, if you're measuring your your wake up motivation level on a scale of one to ten, when the alarm goes off, if it's in arm's reach, you're at between like you're maybe at a one, right? And when your wake up motivation level is at a one, that takes nine more points of discipline to get your butt out of bed, right? Yep. So what you want to do is you want to have a a, a a a strategy, these little simple steps that every minute you're awake doing these really easy things, your wake-up motivation level goes up by a point or two each minute, right? So when you get out of bed and you walk into the bathroom or across the room, your wake-up motivation level goes from a one to probably like a three, right? You're way more awake if you're upright and you're, you've walked, right, than you are if you're in bed. Um, and then for me, like, it's by the bathroom counter. Now I brush my teeth. Well, you know, it takes me two minutes to brush my teeth, my little timer on my toothbrush. Well, two minutes later, I'm like, I'm at a four or five now. Like I'm just starting to wake up, right? And then here's a big linchpin tip. When we wake up in the morning, we haven't had any water for eight, most of us for eight hours, right? So you're dehydrated by default and dehydration causes fatigue. So I have a full glass of water sitting right there by my, and I brush my teeth and then I down it like a college kid at a keg party, right? Like I just, I pound the whole thing. Now I'm hydrating myself. And then I go in and I put on my, I I get changed in my workout clothes. None of these take discipline or much effort, but now five minutes have gone by and now I'm like, dude, I'm already, I'm up, I'm awake, I'm but teeth are brushed, my face is wet, I'm fresh, I'm I'm hydrated. Let's do it. Let's do it, right? Yeah. So that's the strategy, Adam. That's it. I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Now now let's go into the miracle morning. Like what, what are the things that you've, what are the steps? Yeah. So the, the first, so the, the day I came up with the miracle morning, uh, it was my, I didn't call it that. It was just the, the concept. 
uh, I called my buddy. I'm like, John, I haven't told my, he's now my business partner. We do events and stuff together, but John Berghoff, I said, John, I am, uh, I haven't told anybody this, man. I, I'm in a bad spot. And you're like, what's going on? And I said, well, I said, I've lost over half my clients since the economy crashed in the last couple of months. Um, I can't pay the mortgage, dude. I'm like, I'm, you know, the bank's going to, I'm getting letters. They're going to take my house away. Uh, um, I, you know, I canceled the gym membership. I'm in the, I, you know, like my body fat percentage has tripled. I'm like, it's just, it's not good, dude. And I, I'm a mess. I don't know what to do. You're one of the smartest people I know. Like I haven't told anybody also, cause I'm a success coach. So it's like, it's not the best advertising to be like, <laughs> Hey world, I'm failing miserably, but I'm looking for clients. Do you need anyone for a, you know, a success coach? So like, it was just this real identity crisis. And I also like I, authenticity is one of my highest values. Mm. So I felt like, Am I even, should I fire all of my clients? Right, right. I feel because like an imposter. An imposter. I'm like, who the hell am I to coach these people? I'm a mess. Yeah. So I call John and he says, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. Like you tell me what to do, brother. I will do it. Like, please. And he said, man, I'm so sorry. Let me ask you a couple questions. I said, okay. And he said, number one, are you exercising every day? And I go, what the hell does that have to do with anything I just told you? And, uh, you know, I was like, is he not even paying attention? Like, what exercise? No, I need to make money right now. Like, what, what? And he goes, Hal, if you're not exercising every day and you guys are the exercise guys, I mean, you appreciate this. He goes, you're, he goes, I'm imagining what you wake up, you go in your office, you work all day, you go to bed. And he's, I'm like, yes. And he said, then your energy, your mental clarity, it's at a low level. He goes, you got to get blood to your body, oxygen to your brain. You're going to, if you want to improve your life, you got to put yourself in a peak mental, physical, and emotional state that exercise will do for you. He said, if I were you, I would start every day by going for a walk, a jog, a run, whatever. And I'm like, okay, okay, that makes sense, okay. But I'm looking for like, I'm like, no, no, I want a tactic, like set up this landing page and you'll right. drive traffic. And yeah. like, you know, like, no, I need like money, like get rich quick, you know, and um. He said, second thing, while you're on, while you're exercising, he said, I would always, I would listen to an audio, a, a podcast, an audio book on whatever topic you need. He goes, right now you need to make money, right? I said, yeah. He goes, you're a coach. You need clients? I said, yeah. He goes, go find the best audio book on getting coaching clients. He said, so while you're in that peak state, listen to this audio. And he said, and then don't even shower, go straight home and write down exactly what you're going to do differently as a result of what you learned. I'm like, okay, right? So he's basically teaching Amanda fish, right? He's teaching me to mm-hmm. fish, you know? I'm like, all right. And so the, he, I go, do, do you have, I go, uh, you know, I, I, I'll do it. And he said, I would start with this one audio from Jim Rohn. I forgot what it was called, but he goes, listen to the audio. And so I go for a jog the, ne- the next morning. I listen to the audio and I'm like begrudging them. I'm like, this is, I should be in the office making money, you know, but, but it wasn't, I'd been doing it for two months, like just spinning my wheels. Like, so, but I'm like, I need to be making money. I hear a quote from Jim Rohn and this quote, is the foundation of the miracle morning. I wish I could thank Jim in person. He you know, passed away. Um, he said, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. And in that moment, and I think it's true for you know 95 to 99% of our society, I realized I'm not dedicating time every day to my personal development. Therefore, I'm not becoming the person that I need to be to create the success or attract the success, whatever word you want to use, mm. that I want. I'm like... And so the epiphany was, I'm like, I need to like create the most extraordinary personal development routine that I can and really like turbocharge this. And so I ran home and I just Googled a bunch of phrases like, you know, personal development of millionaires or, you know, what the world's most successful do for personal development and just all these different phrases. Right. And I had this running list 
and I, I wrote, you know, I came across meditation, right? And I read this article, Fortune 500 CEOs who swear by meditation. And I'm like, oh, it's not just a woo-woo thing. Like these Fortune 500 CEOs attribute their success to meditation. I'm like, well, maybe I should do that, right? Write it down. And I write down meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, journaling, you know, uh, all these things. And I'm, I'm writing them all down and I'm trying to, and then I go, okay, I've got this list of six that I kept cross-referencing on, you know, Will Smith is saying that affirmations, he was on an Ellen episode. She's like, how did you become one of the top paid actors in Hollywood? He's like, I used written affirmations since I was 15. I think I might be misquoting, but he said from 15 years old. And I just lived in alignment with those affirmations and I became them. They became, I designed my reality in writing that, you know, an affirmation form. And they weren't just woo woo. Like I'm great. I'm, he's like, I would say what I'm committed to and what I'm going to do. And you know what I, and, and he goes, and I would just do it. And now those affirmations are the life that I live, right? And I'm like, oh shit! I thought affirmations were just like cheesy. I'm, I'm a millionaire. I'm a this, you know. Mm-hmm. But like the way he described it was very different. And so, I'm looking at the list, and I go, okay, which of these is going to be my morning routine? Which of these is the best? Am I going to meditate? Am I going to write? Which of these ones? And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm rereading the articles, and and none is more compelling than the other. It just depends on who you ask. And so the epiphany was when I went, dude, what if I did all of these? What if I woke up tomorrow and I did the six most timeless, proven personal development practices that the world's most successful individuals in all walks of life have done for centuries? I go, that would be the ultimate morning ritual. That'd be the ultimate, or no, that would be the ultimate ritual because it didn't start with the morning. And then I'm looking at my schedule and I go, when the hell am I going to fit in an extra hour? Because I'm thinking I'll do like 10 minutes each, right? You know, like 10 minutes, 60 minutes total, mm-hmm. right? When am I going to fit an extra hour? And I'm looking, I'm like, I got to work all day. I'm like at night, I'm freaking brain dead. Like there, you know, and but I'm like, but I'm not a morning person. And for anybody listening, right? Like, you know, I've, I've done, um, we, we surveyed our community a few years ago. Somebody interviewing me said, what percentage of your miracle morning community, which is, you know, made of millions of people, what percentage of them were already morning people? So this was like just a, oh, cool. Well, instead of checking Facebook, I'll do your, yeah. your, your six savers, you know? Um, and they said, and which percentage of them had the limiting belief that I had and most people have, which is like, dude, I've, I'm not a morning person that Adam has, right? Yeah. I've never been, a, I'm like, I've tried it. It's just not me. You know, I'm yeah. a night owl. And uh, I go, D- I don't know. So I surveyed our community and really like, I didn't know if it'd be like 90% were already morning people or you know, I didn't know. 72% said I had never in my life, before I read the Miracle Morning, I had never been a morning person in my entire oh. life. And, and, you know, so I was like, wow, 72%, not only, implemented the miracle morning practices, but it was like, no, no, they had to overcome a lifetime, you know, of evidence. Like I'm saying they're not a morning person. Mm. So, so that was it. I look at my schedule and I'm looking at my schedule and I'm going like 5am is glaring at me, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, do I really have to do this? And I, and one of my mentors, Kevin Bracey, I, his voice in my head, he always said, if you want your life to be different, you have to be willing to do something different first. And like that rang in my ears and I'm like, son of a bitch. Okay, <laughs> I'm getting up at five. And here's the crazy part. There, there's one more step to that five-step snooze-proof wake-up strategy that I didn't share and it, it fits right now very nicely. It is set your intention before bed. Think about this. Yeah. Our first thought in the morning is almost always whatever the last thought was we had before bed, yeah. right? Like I think about a kid on Christmas. Like, was it hard to wake up Christmas morning, right? Nope. Or if you're, you know, if you didn't celebrate Christmas, just think of like your first day of school or a holiday or vacation. If you were excited about something you had to wake up for the next morning, you went to bed 
tossing and turning. Like you probably got the worst sleep ever because you're like, mine's racing with this thing, mm-hmm. right? But when, as soon as you came to consciousness in the morning, you freaking popped out of bed. And so that night, I was like thinking of these six practices, these savers. Um, and by the way, let me, well, I'll get to those in a sec. So, and I'm, and, but I was excited to wake up. And then as soon as the alarm clock woke up in the morning, which, and for the last, you know, six months before that, I was all depressed and like dreaded waking up because I was waking up to my problems. You know, the only relief I had, and if you've ever been depressed, you relate to this, is going to bed at night. Mm-hmm. The only escape from life is like, I get to just fall asleep. Like, thank God. And then you dreaded waking up. So that night I realized that we can recreate that experience of Christmas morning or first day of school or whatever, we have the responsibility to consciously create that intention before bed. And when we do, every single morning literally feels like Christmas. Mm. You literally get to create that mind-body connection. You create, I'm gonna, and, and, I, and in the book, in the Miracle Morning book, I give what I call the bedtime affirmation. And it wasn't written for the book. It was my own affirmation that I kept on my bedside table and then I just put it in the book. Um, but it basically is how I program my mind that says, hey, Tonight, I'm getting blank hours of sleep, and whether it's five or eight or seven, just depending on the night, right? I go, it's the exact amount that my body needs tonight to regenerate and rejuvenate, and I'm going to wake up feeling incredible tomorrow, and I can't wait to start with my miracle morning, win the morning, and then crush the day. And dude, if you go to bed with that intention, right, you pop out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I woke up the next morning. I did all six practices. I was terrible at all of them. I had never meditated. I had never done affirmations. Like I fumbled through all of them, but still, even with the worst miracle morning I've ever done, I felt incredible after an hour. And I'm like, dude, if I, like that was it. My, and my depression went away because I was depressed because my, kept, my, I kept losing money. I kept, you know, and um, my depression went away where I was like, if I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't not succeed by starting the day like this. I, I'm on freaking fire. You know, and, and so while my outer world obviously didn't change day one, it took a couple of months, like my inner world was like, dude, this is, this is it, you know, and, and the rest is, you know, it's kind of history. And again, it wasn't a book idea. It just, it didn't become a book idea until I taught it to my coaching clients and they had the same results I did. And I was like, dude, this, I, I have a responsibility to share this with the world. What order do you do them in when you wake up? Do you, what do you start with and how do you end it? So there's a perfect segue into, so th- when I was writing the book, um, one day I was frustrated and, uh, because I had these six practices that I didn't invent any of them, right? Like I didn't invent meditation or affirmations or visualization or any of these. Right. And, uh, and there's no, there was no rhyme or reason at the time as I was writing. I'm like, I don't know how to like Stephen Covey's got the seven habits of highly effective people. Like they have, I didn't have a framework, right? Um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki has the cash flow quadrant, right? They're like these memorable things that you stick in your mind and you can implement and organize. Mm-hmm. And my wife came upstairs. I got, I owe my wife so much. She's the one that thought of the name Miracle Morning. She's the one that thought of this. I go, I said, uh, I said, sweetie, I'm so frustrated. She said, what's wrong? I said, you know, all these other authors have these like formulas that these frameworks that make their stuff easy to implement. And I just have these six random practices and there's, I don't know how to organize them in a way that people are going to really be able to, they'll be sticky and they'll get them and they'll be able to run through them. She goes, why don't you get a thesaurus and see if you can switch some of the words that you, you know, some of the meditation or the things, and maybe there's, you could make an acronym out of it that people could remember. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. And okay. Interesting. And it was once, if it wasn't for this, and you'll, you'll see when I explain how the, what the acronym became, if it wasn't for this idea, again, I don't think the miracle morning would have stuck. I don't think it would have changed lives, right? The way it has, because people would be like, oh yeah, these are all random. I don't know. You know? Mm-hmm. So the acronym is, I call it in the book. These are the life savers. 
And the acronym is S-A-V-E-R-S. Silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing, mm-hmm. which is a fancy word for Smart. writing or journaling. Mm-hmm. The, the, it couldn't be a more perfect acronym be, for one, because of I genuinely believe like these are the six practices that are virtually guaranteed to save you from missing out on the life that you deserve to live, right? Um, and so a lot of people will run through them in that order. They'll do their silence. They'll start with meditation. Then they'll pull out their affirmations. Then they're visualized. Then they'll do a, you know, five, 10 minute, you know, workout or whatever, right? Quick stretching, yoga, whatever. Then they'll pull out their book and read. Then they'll journal how they're, what they're gonna do for their day, right? I personally... Um, do exercise last because I, you know, a little sweaty. I don't want to, I'm going to sweat and then go shower or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some people will do exercise first because they're like, like if I do meditation first, I just fall asleep yeah, on the couch. Yeah, I would need that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was already. I told the guys this morning that was the first thing I tried to do this morning was the meditation. Like, yeah, yeah. This ain't working. I'll go right back, to, back sleep. to bed. Yeah, and that's another. So one tip is don't do the Miracle Morning in your bed. I mean, you can. Right. Like my one of my co-authors. So I have a book that just came out called Miracle Morning Millionaires: What the Wealthy Do Before 8 a.m. That Will Make You Rich. I co-authored it with David Osborne, who's you know he has a net worth of 100 million dollars, and he attributes his morning routine. Like we met, and I was like, "How'd you be so successful?" He's like, "Dude, my morning routine. I was doing Miracle Morning before it was called Miracle Morning," and I'm like. We should write a book. You know how you know how to turn that into your how to turn into wealth. But um, where was I going with that? Uh, oh, so he likes to do half of his savers. He does them in bed. So he actually he's like, dude, I do the first three. He does like meditation, affirmations, visualization while he sits in bed, right? Like, and then he gets out. So he has discipline not to fall asleep. I would fall asleep. Would so so my tip is you get out of bed, you you do your five step wake up strategy, and then you get the hell out of your room and you go. You know, I have a like a little like I did my living room with like, and I have my whole Miracle Morning stuff on the coffee table, like underneath it. I got my book. I got my journal. I got my, like, everything's laid out, you know? Mm. So it's ready to go. It's easy. My yoga DVD is there, right? Um, so I go do the, uh, so you do your Miracle Morning in the other room. Um, and yeah, if you want to do exercise first to wake you up. So a couple other things I'll share on the savers. There's in the, in the Miracle Morning book, there's a chapter called Customizing the Lifesavers to Fit Your Lifestyle and Achieve Your Goals. And, and it basically says that it's completely customizable. Number one is the order, right? You do whatever order you want. Number two is the duration. You, you know, you can do like most people will do a 60 minute miracle morning and they'll do like 10 minutes each. But I got to where I would do like 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of reading, and then five minutes of visualization, five minutes of journaling, five minutes of affirmate, right? Um, So you can totally customize it and move around. Some people will even split it up and they'll do half in the morning and half at night. Now I want to, that's, that's a good reminder. I do want to mention some people will say, well, how the savers are great. Those are life-changing. Do do I have to do it in the morning or could I do it any other time of day? Right? The answer is yes and no. Um, If you do the life savers, if you do the savers, any of those practices at any time of day, they're life-changing, right? It doesn't matter when, right? Um, However, every single one of them has immediate and short-term benefits, like meaning extending over hours, right? So for example, exercise. Exercise increases your endorphins, serotonin, it get, right? The blood flow, and you guys can speak more technically on all of that, right? But it increases your energy. Why would you wait on those benefits and miss out on them all morning and all afternoon long, right? That'd be ridiculous. Meditation lowers your cortisol levels. It lowers your stress. It increases dopamine as well, right? So it's like, if you don't do your savers in the morning, you're missing out on all of the benefits, right? It puts you, think of it this way. The miracle morning is designed to put you in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state to start your day 
so that you are in that state to execute everything else you have to do for the day. You're a better leader. You're a better lover. You're a better, you know, parent. You're a better, you know, entrepreneur, etc. So, yeah. Excellent. Now, this next book, The Miracle Equation, is different. Very different. Yeah. Are, are you able to give away some tangible? All of that it. Dude, yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I mean, of course. Yeah. But go buy it. But um, <laughs> yeah. And and by the way, I, this this might be getting ahead of myself, but I I always forget to promote stuff like this. So I'm gonna lead with this if it's okay. <laughs> the book's uh, available for pre-order right now. Um, it comes out on the 16th, and I'm working with a book launch, like total behind the scenes. I'm working with a book launch manager, and he goes, Hal, everybody has so many books to read, right? Like there's no usually no urgency. So he says his strategy is he goes, we need to create real valuable bonuses that are far in excess of the price of the book. And he goes, and don't, he goes, don't do what a lot of authors do, which is pull out old stuff out of your hat. Be like, well, I got this old online training. I'll just, I'll throw that in for free and I'll throw in this old thing for free. He's like, no, no, I want you to create relevant bonuses that are just for the book itself. And I'm like, okay. So anybody that pre-orders the book right now, you got to miracleequationbook.com or Amazon or wherever you buy books, right? If you forward your receipt to miracleequation at gmail.com, and I always have to tell people there's two E's at miracle, ends with an E, equation starts with an E. So put two E's in there. Um, you'll get $1,347 in bonuses. Um, you get a, uh, the biggest one, which is a $1,200 value, is a six-week online course with me on how to create tangible, measurable miracles where I walk you through how to implement everything in the book. It starts the week after the book comes out. Um, you get a Miracle Equation Limitless Potential Guided Affirmation, which is a $99 value. And that's me in your ear every morning. Not this excited. I'll be more gentle. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, but, but helping you right, really program your mind with the things in the book. And then you get a, a one-page, it's really front and back, two pages, Miracle Equation Implementation Guide that has every key concept in the book covered on a front and back page that you can print out, read it during your Miracle Morning, review it, and keep everything top of mind. Cool. So you buy the book, pre-order the book today, forward your receipt to miracleequation at gmail.com. All right, so into the book. What was our question? <laughs> Some tangibles from the equation. Yeah, so here, yeah. so I'll just tell you what, I'll tell you what it is, right? Um, the, so the miracle equation, it's made of two decisions. And the, 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 you know, the, I, I kind of preface this by saying these are deceptively simple in the explanation, but they're extraordinarily rare in execution, right? And it's like most keys to success, right? It's like, yeah, and it's not rocket science, but it's easier to not do it than do it, which is why only 1% actually does the things that right. actually get them there, right? S simple, not easy. Yeah, exactly. So the first decision is to develop unwavering faith. If you think about anyone in the world that has ever accomplished anything extraordinary, right? Become wealthy, become whatever it is, right? You know, created the iPhone. I mean, whatever, right? Walked on the moon. Every single one of them begin by establishing and developing the faith that they could do something that they had never done before. Right, self-belief. And that totally is counteractive to human nature. Human nature is we check our rear view mirror. Like in, the, in the Miracle Morning book, I call it rear view mirror syndrome. We check the rear view mirror and be like, well, who am I? What have I done? Have I done this before? Have I overcome? So whenever we're faced with it, whether it's a challenge or an opportunity, we check the rear view and we go, dude, I've never done anything like this. Who am I, who am I kidding? And then we go back to life the way that we know it. And that's it right? It is totally counter to human nature to be like, well, I have no evidence that I can do it, but I'm going to step out on faith that I can do this thing I've never done before. And for most of the prolific achievers in the world, not only do they check the rear view and see that they've never done it, it's no one's ever created an electric car, said Elon Musk, <laughs> right? Like this is, you know, this is literally faith in not just something that they've never done, but maybe other people have. So there's like a little bit of evidence. It's like, 
wait, this has never been done in the history of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I tried to break, so uh, you know what? Great way to, 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 to do this. I'll tell the story real quick. So I was 20 years old and I was trying to break a, fi- a company record. That means that the company I was working for, Cutco, had been around for 50 years and no one had ever sold the amount that I was trying to sell in the period of time that I was trying to sell it. And it was, it was a 14-day sales contest and I was trying to sell $20,000 of kitchen knives. This was in, 1990, in 2000, in the year 2000. And no one had ever sold $20,000 in, uh, in the 14-day period that I was trying. And I, um, <clears throat> I was like in my head going, okay, like I spent weeks like mustering up, right, journaling about it. Like, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And, and then I go to our sale, our team meeting, like three days before the sales contest starts. Right. And I was trying, you know, again, I was 14 days, 20 grand. Okay. It's almost impossible, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to be the first person to do it. And our sales manager says, Hey everybody, welcome to the meeting, blah, blah, blah. I know you guys are gearing up for your, it's called a push period. He said, um, now I, I don't know if all of you are aware of this, but our conference was moved up four days. You don't have the full 14 days. It's only, t- we only have 10 days for this sales contest. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I've spent the last three weeks wrapping my head around the, the impossible goal of selling 20 grand in 14 days. And you're telling me that I now have, I've lost 30% of my time to do this. And I, uh, like I raised my hand. I'm like, Frank, so does this not count for like records and stuff? Cause it's not a full push period. And he's like, nah, Hal, it still counts. I'm like, Oh, so like, I'm just, I'm crushed. I'm like, no. So I go home that night and I'm in my head going, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I remember something I learned from one of my mentors, Dan Cassetta. And I think he learned this from Jim Rohn, right? Like the godfather of, you know, self-help. And it's that the purpose of a goal, and I think you, uh, Sal, you said this, I think. The, the purpose of a goal is not to hit the goal. That's not the highest value. The purpose of the goal is who you become by giving it everything you have to attempt the goal, whether or not you hit it. If you hit it, that's a short-term benefit. You make some money, you do whatever. But the qualities and the characteristics you develop, and I have a whole chapter in the book about like about that, how you don't need to fear failure ever because you can't fail at becoming a better version of yourself, right? Mm. And so, so I, I go, wait a minute, I go, what if I applied that philosophy where it wasn't a make or break, it wasn't a success or fail, a block, which is how most of us do it. It's like either we reach the goal or we don't. I go, if I don't hit the 20K, but I give it everything I have until the last moment, regardless of my results along the way, I would become more capable to achieve every goal I ever set from, from that point on. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go for it, fail or not, whatever. And then I, and then I went, okay, to do this would be like a miracle what would I have to do between now and then? What would I have to decide today and, and, and maintain for the next 10 days for this to be possible? And I came up with two decisions. And, and I don't know if I worded it, but these are the two decisions that make up the book now. I don't know if I worded them this way, but the first one was unwavering faith. I might have called it belief or what. And there's a lot of synonyms. You can call it belief, you know, self-determination, whatever, right? But I, I basically said, uh, and this is true for all of us, right? You have to first establish the faith, which I was already, I was doing that. And by the way, that's the easy part. Establishing the faith, it's not easy. It's not normal. Most people don't do it, but it's the easier part because there's, if, you know, if you're into self-help, you abide by the optimist credo, which is anything is possible, right? And, and you see all the, you know, you're like, Tony Robbins told me anything is possible, right? <laughs> and, uh, but, but rarely do we pursue what's possible. We only pursue what's probable. 
what we believe is likely to happen. Like when was, how often do people go, I'm going to go after a goal that I think I have no chance of achieving, right? Never. So yeah, almost never. We, we only pursue that which we believe is probable, right? So people will establish the faith they can do the possible sometimes. And, and they call that uninformed optimism. Right. It's like, I don't know what I don't know, but I just know that Tony Robbins and I, I love Tony. Right. But he's anything's possible. So I'm going to go for it. You know, but then as soon as it looks unlikely, they're like, oh, shit, I was kidding myself. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> First day out. Didn't go the way I thought. Never mind. And they literally throw in the towel. So the unwavering faith, really, there's two parts. You got to establish it. But then the hard part is you have to maintain it, which is that's what makes it unwavering. Establishing faith, but letting it waver. Then it's like you, you just give up. So I, I, in advance, I luckily like saw that. I, I, I fast forwarded, I reverse engineered the next 10 days and I went, um, I'm going to have, I, I've been in, I'd been in sales for a year and a half at that point. And I go, or no, yeah, two years at that point. I said, I guarantee there's, you know, I'm going to have no sales. I'm going to doubt myself. I'm going to have days where I go out and I sell, I might go 0 for 5, right? How am I going to maintain faith on those days during those times? How am I going to maintain faith if halfway through the push period, five days into the 10-day push period, I'm nowhere near on track. How am I going to maintain faith? So I, I decided that I would use, I, you know, now I, in the book, I call it the miracle mantra. And it's basically, in rough terms, I just said, I'm going to, I, I committed, I wrote it down and I, I put it in my pocket. I carried it with me every day for 10 days. It said, I am committed to sell, tw- to give it every, not, not to sell 20,000 because the result you can't guarantee. I said, I'm committed to give it everything I have to sell $20,000 for push, no matter what, there is no other option. And every and you think about it, the, the old adage, what we focus on expands. So when you feel a fear or a doubt because of your results, you then hyper-focus on it, it expands, it consumes you, and it becomes your reality, and you go, there's no way I can do this. And I, I knew that was a potential problem. That would be my downfall. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to um, this mantra. Whenever I have a no sale or a no show, or you know, I'm not on track, I'm going to pull out my mantra and say, "I am committed to giving it everything I have to sell twenty thousand dollars." Right, and whatever your goal is, you fill in the blank of twenty thousand. You know, to lose twenty pounds, to make a million dollars, to write a best selling book, whatever. No matter what, there is no other option. And I literally, I said that hundreds of times during those ten days. And I'll, in in a minute, I'll get to how this whole thing played out in miraculous fashion. So that was my first decision. I will maintain unwavering faith regardless of my results until the last possible moment, no matter what. That was decision number one. And if you're listening to this, if you don't make that decision, if you want to achieve extraordinary results in your life, in your business, if you want to become a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever, mayor, I mean, whatever your extraordinary goals are. And I'll define a miracle real quick because it's a really loaded word, right? Like, you know, I mean, that conjures up all, I mean, there's, in fact, I, I think miracle at first blush, well, it's, I, I would eye roll it. You know, it's like miracles, come on, what, like parting the Red Sea, like, mm. and I think it, most miracles that are talked about, like in media, like, you know, this, like in the book, I talk about you know, the guy that fell 14,000 feet and his parachute didn't open and he lived with relatively minor injuries. Like, yeah, that's, you call that a miracle, but like, that doesn't help me create miracles. It's like, well, yeah, if I hope if I skydive and I don't die, like, okay, right? Or, you know, or there's that, there's this sort of Donnie Register. It was on Oprah's website, Oprah's Real Life Miracles, where a gunman came into his liquor store and shot him in the face. And Donnie threw his hand up at the last moment and the bullet bounced off the wedding ring and Donnie lived and the guy ran off. Like, that's a miracle, I guess, but like, that doesn't help us create miracles. So let me define a miracle for those that are listening in a way that everybody, like, I want to make them tangible. I want to make them measurable. I want you to feel like, dude, this is, I can create these. 
A miracle, as I define it in the miracle equation in the book, is any result outside the realm of what you believe is probable for you, right? And again, I didn't say possible because anything's possible. No, no, what you believe is probable for you. Therefore, when you achieve that result, it feels like a miracle. You, you're in disbelief. So, so the second decision I made going into the push period was, okay, so number one, I've got to maintain unwavering faith. That's the mental part. That's the, you can call that the, the miracle mindset, if you will, right? Um, the second decision I made is I have to put forth extraordinary effort. I have to get, literally give it everything I have regardless of my results until the last possible moment because here's what happens for most of us. If our results are not on par with our goal, we lose drive, we lose steam, we lose faith. And when the faith goes out the window, the effort follows right behind it. You're like, well, dude, I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to really give it my all if there's like, no, there's no way I'm going to reach my goal. So here's how this played out. So those are my two decisions. And I'll tell you that the miracle equation, everyone I've taught it to, I mean, it's like 90% of people, it plays out like this, where it's like the last minute, shit all falls into place. I mean, it literally is like a mere, it's crazy. Um, and you and you hear stories of, you know, if you watch celebrities, successful people on TV, whatever, right? They're always like, yeah, it was like, it was like, it was luck. It was like, dude, I went to this interview and it didn't work out, but then this guy saw me and then he came in and it was like, and I tripped and he fell. And then he was like, and then he gave me a, a job and, it, and then I learned, it landed me the biggest part in my life. You know what I mean? Like it happens that way. So I went out, so, so do real simple math here, right? I had 10 days to sell 20 grand, two grand a day. Now in sale, in, in, in my company, but you know, I was 20 years old, having a $2,000 day, I had done that before, but I never, you know, but I celebrated. It was like a lot, like, holy crap, I sold two grand in a day. That's a big day, right? I mean, the biggest set we sold back then was like 700 bucks, right? So it was, you know, it was like, you'd have to sell like three of the biggest sets we had in the same day, right? So, so the odds of it happening weren't very good um, to do it 10 days in a row. So the first seven days, I needed to be at 14 grand to be on track, right? And that would give me three days left to finish out the last six grand. In the first seven days, I was at seven grand. So imagine you've bust, I've busted my ass. I've maintained the miracle equation. I'm at seven grand in seven days. Imagine if you were in that spot. That means that you have to, you have three days left to sell the remaining 13 grand. How in your brain are you going to think that in seven days you sold seven grand? So yeah, you're going to sell 13 grand in the next three days. It was virtually impossible. And I want to share a really important distinction around this. This is probably will will surprise you when you read it in the book. Well, it won't because I'm going to tell you right now. But when you, you don't have to actually believe that you can reach the goal to reach the goal for the miracle equation to work. And what I mean by that is this, this is kind of counterintuitive. I didn't actually believe that I was going to sell $20,000 in those 10 days. Unwavering faith is a strategy that increases, that moves your probability of success from possible to probable and over the long term, inevitable right? I'll give you an example. The world's greatest athletes. Any Michael Jordan fans? You guys? Of course. Yeah. Right. So that's my epitome of a champion, right? You know, growing up. So Michael Jordan, I believe that Michael Jordan, a LeBron James, a Kobe Bryant, or any sport, right? They made a decision at some point in their career. Might've been in high school, college, might've been because of a mentor, might've been their own of their own accord, that they would make every shot that they could make every shot that they ever took and win every game they ever played in. And let me ask you, can, has any player ever made every shot they ever took? No. 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 I didn't believe but that I would actually reach the goal. But I knew that 
to increase my likelihood, to make it as probable as possible, I had to have faith that I would make every sale, make win every day, make right, and and reach the goal. And so the world's greatest athletes have faith they'll make every shot they take, even though they know they won't. Right. They they have faith they'll win every game they play in, even though they know they won't. It's impossible. But think about this: the average person. Um, human nature, if you miss a shot, and when I say miss a shot, that's a metaphor for whatever, attempt anything and not not hit your expectation, right? But when, when the average player misses a shot, does their faith go up or down? It, it goes, goes down. It decreases, right? right? They're like, oh shit, I just missed. Maybe I'm off today. Yeah. If they miss two shots in a row, dude, faith's going out the window. Like, uh, if they get the ball next time and they, uh, 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 they hesitate and they throw it back to the other player, right? But I believe my, you, you see Michael Jordan or Co- you see Kobe, you see these they LeBron. Still shoot. Dude, you see they're having the worst game of their life. Still shoot. In the fourth quarter, they have the best quarter of the game, right? right? If, if they've missed the last seven shots in a row and it goes to the huddle and there's 10 seconds left and their team's down by two, and in the book, I call these miracle mavens. The word maven comes from the Yiddish word maven, which means one who understands. A miracle maven is one who understands how to create tangible, measurable miracles. Measurable, I'm getting tongue-tied. Measurable miracles. They understand the miracle equation is the fundamental thing. In fact, I've interviewed with some podcasters that are multimillionaires recently. JJ Virgin's one. And she's like, she kept cutting me off. She's like, how? This is what we do. You simplified it. Like, this is what the world's most successful people do. We just, I don't think we, I think we do it unconsciously. We make these two decisions all the time and we just, that's how we live, you know? And that's the thing is Mm -hmm. the miracle equation. It's a fundamental way of living. It's not like I'm going to try it out on this one goal and see how it works. It's like, no, no, this is who you become is this way where everything like Michael Jordan, like an athlete, you approach everything, every challenge you encounter, every goal you pursue through the lens of unwavering faith. And then you put forth extraordinary effort and your success moves along that spectrum from possible to probable to inevitable. Excellent. What has it been like uh, seeing the sales of the book? I mean, you've you've got this attitude. You've overcome all this crazy stuff. You've even been in financial places where you thought you're going to lose your house. And the, the first book is just fucking crushing. What has been this? Oh, we can say the effort. I wasn't sure I held back. Oh, yeah. This is is mind pump, man. You can say whatever you want on this. So what what has the ride been like for you uh, seeing the success of the book right now? It is, I mean, surreal is the only, like I, I, when I wrote, first of all, it wasn't a book idea, right? Like I said, and then I decided I would make it a book. And then while I was writing the book, um, you know, I have as much, you know, I'm a human being. I have fear and self-doubt. Like I said, the miracle equation is my strategy. It doesn't mean that I believe, uh, you know, it's like I just, I know that it increases my likelihood of success, right? Um, but I still have fears and self-doubt. Like when I was writing The Miracle Morning, there was, and like any writer it goes through this, right? I'm writing and I'm going, I would have writer's block or I'd be frustrated with parts of it or, or I would just go, dude, people have such a deeply ingrained belief that they are not a morning person, that they have 18 years or I mean their whole lifetime of evidence. I go, who in the hell? And I would be struggling with writer's block going, how can I write the words that that would help enable someone to overcome a lifetime of evidence that they have tried that they can't wake up early. Right. So I had I had so much self-doubt. And and my vision for it, you know, most of the time was rooted in that self-doubt. It was like, I mean, maybe it'll change a few lives. Like that was literally, I'm like, maybe, you know, if it changes one life, it's worth it. If it changes one life, like it changed my life, dude, I owe it, I owe it to that person. I don't know who they are. Like that was my vision for it. But then I would start teaching it like while the book took me six years to write or six years, three years, six or three years. I can't remember which one took me what, but um, three years, but uh, it took me three years to write. And during that time, I would 
I was, you know, I'd blog about it and I'd post it. So I was like teaching the Miracle Morning along the journey. And just from teaching it and doing like some interviews and an audio I did on it that went viral online, I would get emails from, you know, I had hundreds of emails from people before the book even came out saying, I implemented the Miracle Morning. I'm doing your savers. It is changing my life. It's changing my marriage. It got me, I was depressed and now I'm not depressed. And that's what gave me like, I, I started to see like, dude, this could change the world. Mm. Like this could change the world. Like I don't, you know, but when the book launched, I wasn't a Tim Fair. I didn't have a platform. So I think this is probably the most important lesson for anybody listening. And this is really a lesson in, you know, the irony of the miracle equation is yes, it's a new book, but I invented it six years before the miracle morning. And it's how the miracle morning has sold millions of copies. I had unwavering faith that I, that the miracle morning could change the world because it was changing every person's life that I taught it to that did it. And so I said, I have a responsibility to share it with millions and millions and millions of people, even if that takes me the rest of my life. So I will put forth extraordinary effort to do that and maintain unwavering faith. Now, here's the, here's the lesson. When the book came out, you know, if you're an author, the first month is usually the best month of sales you ever have, right? You, you leverage every relationship, every friendship, yeah. you beg your friends, your parents, you know, I called every client I had. I mean, I sold, and I sold 1800 copies of the book, which, you know, it's not, and it was self-published. Not a bit, not that many copies. The next month I dropped down to like 700 copies, I think. And then it dropped down to 300 and then 200 and then 100 and right. And I have a graph of this, you know, that I show in some speeches that I do. Um, it took me a year and a half and over 150 interviews on podcasts and a oh. dozen TV shows to get back to 1800 sales in a single month. And most authors I meet are like, dude, I promote my book hard for like a month, maybe three. And right. then I move on to the next squirrel. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. But I, I, it was the miracle equation. I mean, you, like, this is so, it's like, this is real life stuff, right? Like I maintained it and a year and a half later, it got back up to 1800. And then I think it was the next month, Pat Flynn had me on his podcast and this is a great, Pat Flynn, wait, I don't need to tell the story. And Pat Flynn had me on the podcast and he, um, and his audience really, cause he, he came on and he said, well, here's the story. He said, Hal, I'm not, a, it was, it was a really hard way to start the interview. Because I looked up to him. I love Pat. I'm a huge fan. He's just a great guy, podcaster, smart passive income podcast, big following. And he said, Hal, I just want to tell you, I am not a morning person. I am a night owl. I wake up when my kids wake me up in the morning and I love it because it's my alarm clock. It, there's nothing more endearing than my kids going, daddy, daddy, daddy. And, and basically, Pat, you know, Pat's, you know, got a multi-million dollar business, runs marathons, great dad. I'm like, how in the hell am I going to convince this guy that his perfect life... <laughs> No, 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 Pat. I know you like waking up with your beautiful children, but no, an alarm clock an hour earlier is going to be the way to go, right? And um, at the end of the interview, basically after everything I shared today, right, he was convinced. He's like, Hal, I think I might be missing out on a level of productivity by not starting my day in that peak state that you're talking about. I'm committing on air to my audience. I will do the Miracle Morning for 30 days and I'll, I'll, I'll report every day and keep it public. And now he's one of the biggest Miracle Morning fanatics that there are. Um, and, uh, he, uh, in fact, I'm going to fly down to hang out with him uh, in a couple of days, but he, uh, and then the book, he was the, it was like, it went from, it went to 5,000 copies within a couple of months. Wow. And then it, and then it took off and I've still done another hundred podcast interviews since then. That's what's crazy to me. I didn't realize this. I didn't real. I just assumed that the book just kind of took off and was going. So talk about the feeling that you probably went through after that 1800 and then watching this dip through and your whole book is about this morning routine and having these positive thoughts and all this shit and you're seeing your shit not go explode like I mean 1800 even 1800 a month for six months is nothing compared to the amount that you've sold now sure 
Yeah. I mean, that had to have been, dude, did you go through times where like, fuck, I, maybe I wasn't supposed to do this? Or did you believe with unwavering faith all, through the whole thing, through the whole entire process? I mean, there were definitely doubt because what, what I started thinking about was, I, I mean, all right, I'm an entrepreneur. So I, you know, squirrel, squirrel, right? Everywhere, right? Like, so, so a buddy of mine reached out and he said, um, his name's Ryan Snow and we used to sell cutco together and now he's in, he's a, he's a top level real estate guy. Now he's a sales trainer, but he was, anyway, he was in real estate and he said, Hal, um, I've given the Miracle Morning to my entire sales team. And my since I started doing the Miracle Morning, he said my sales have increased significantly. And my entire team, every single person that started the Miracle Morning, it's 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 measurable. Their their sales have increased. He said, if you thought about doing a, a Miracle Morning for salespeople, where you like customize and cater the content and the affirmations and everything for salespeople. And I said, but yeah, it's crossed my mind to do like, you know, like, you know, some off, like a series or something. I'm like, but I, I, I you know, I, I don't have a plan really, but maybe I said, dude, do you want to co-author it with me? I said, let's, I'm down to give it a shot. Why not? Right. It was kind of an experiment. And so he and I wrote the Miracle Morning for salespeople. And then while we were writing that, an, a top real estate trainer reached out and said, dude, Miracle Morning has changed my life. I read, I've read it to my, I read it to my two-year-old son every night. He doesn't even get it, but I want him to get the Mm-hmm. energy that this book has given to me. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, if you're doing like a real estate version. And I said, let's co-author. Like it was all organic. It wasn't this, I'm not a master plan kind of guy, dude. I'm like, wake up and like, see what I do today, you know? And, um, and now there are like 13 titles and I've done it with some big, big authors now. So Miracle Morning for our entrepreneurs is with Cameron Harold. Uh, Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery is with Joe Polish. Miracle Morning Millionaires is with David Osborne. I have Miracle Morning for College Students. Miracle Morning uh, for um, writers. Um, right now, we're doing Miracle Morning for teachers. This is actually really cool. My vision, part of the vision, the vision now is it's very big because it's, you know, I mean, I've seen what it's doing for the world and for the Miracle Morning. And so the um, uh, so one of my visions was uh, during a Miracle Morning one day, meditating or whatever, I thought, dude, what if this was in schools? What if every classroom, every teacher ran their students through the savers to start the day and put their students in a peak physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual state to start the day? That could enhance their focus. That'd be great. It could enhance their that. happiness. I go, and it could end bullying. How are you going to beat up the kid that you just heard him read his affirmations about his family and why he's <laughs> struggling at home and how he's trying, right? And like you meditated with him, right? And so I'm like, this could change the world. So we, um, I had teacher, a teacher at my, I do a live event every year called Best Year Ever Blueprint in San Diego. And uh, at the Best Year Ever, a, a gal came up and she said, Hal, I do the savers with my students every day. And we do a six minute version. And I, you know, and I was like, I, that's like my vision. Like, you know, and I said, and she said, I have a video I could send you. And I go, oh my God, yes. She sends me a video. And then I have a business partner, Honoré Quarter, who does the um, book series with me. She manages, she oversees the series. And uh, I sent her the video. I'm like, dude, we should do Miracle Morning for teachers. And so she had the idea. She said, instead of us just like finding a teacher to co-author the book with, we brainstormed and decided, why don't we have like a bunch of teachers actually do it and then report back, submit their findings and what works and what doesn't. And then we co-create the book based on real life experience, not just one teacher's experience. So in February, literally just the month before last, we just did this. 70 teachers, 70 classrooms across the United States um, just did this. The submissions and even just the Facebook group of like what they, the teachers are helping each other going, I mean, it was profound. Some of their most troubled kids in their classes were like, Mrs. You know, Smith, like the affirmations have 
so changed my life. And the, I mean, it was incredible. So that book will come out probably, I think, this fall. And um, and then we're going to, I mean, that is a book that we're still figuring it out, but we're going to potentially just send them out to every school in the country. That's right. And um, yeah, like, I mean, it's so, yeah, it's great. so yeah, so I never... I never, I never imagined any of this being as big as it is, and yeah, and it's just, it's surreal. It really is. Well, that's an exciting wow. ride. Very man. exciting. And so, uh, so where are you now with this? You're now promoting your book. You're, you're moving out, talking on podcasts and stuff. Yeah. So, oh, good. And I was gonna ask, how's your treatments? Are you done with your treatments? Are you still going through that? Yeah. So I'm in remission. Um, the and technically I've been in remission since like the first or second treatment, they're like, all right, the cancer is showing it's in remission. And that's why I was like, well, then can I quit chemo? Because chemo is killing me or it's poison, you know? And uh, they're like, no, 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 you have a cancer where even a little bit that's hiding, like you saw how fast it, it like my cancer sure. divides and replicates, divides and replicates. So they have to, so I'm, so I did eight months of hardcore that chemo in the hospital. Uh, and now I do every day I take oral chemo. And then once a month I go in for an IV and I do that for three years. So I have two more years of that. Mm. Um, and, uh, the, so I'm doing that, but I'm in remission. I'm, you know, um, and again, I believe in the mind body connection. So like, cause there is collateral damage from chemo. So part of it is every day I have, aff- I have a whole bunch of cancer affirmations. Right. And one of them is affirming that like the cancer is killing my, or the chemo is killing my cancer and keeping it at bay. So it never comes back. And I get to live a hundred year plus life with my family healthy and um and uh and my body is strong enough to endure the chemo and i'm putting forth extraordinary effort in the form of all these holistic practices to detoxify the chemo from my body so that it never does any harm right so i and i i believe we create our reality from our thoughts and our intentions and our feelings right so i affirm that every day um so that's my cancer journey uh and yeah i'm in the midst of it took chemo this morning you know uh, makes me a little tired, as you can tell. Him not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy uh, cow! How much energy no. did you have before? Yeah. As right. soon as I leave here, I will crash so hard. I have another interview too. I have to figure out a way to get some coffee or something. But, um, so, uh, so yeah. So, and when the miracle equation came out, here's what's interesting. I, um, uh, you know, right? We have we have different parts of our brain, right? We have left brain, right brain, emotional. And the, the this publisher reached out. They wanted to do this book. And I said, this is the book that's on my heart. It's called Miracle Equation. Would you guys be up for it? And they said, yes. And I was excited. But, you know, I had a deadline. I've never worked with a traditional publisher. Everything's been self-published. I have all 13 Miracle Morning books are self-published. This is my first traditionally published book. It's kind of an experiment. I'm like, either I'll never do this again or maybe I'll do it more. I don't know. And uh, but but it was so much pressure with like deadlines, right? Like I just had to get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. I didn't get a lot of time to like in space to like really think about the whole thing. And, uh, and then once the book was done, I sent it off. It was actually probably maybe th- a month ago, three weeks ago. I was laying awake at night and every night I do, I do a miracle evening now, which I'll, I'll probably write a book on this eventually. Right. But it's like, I used to not have any evening routine and, um, and now I just, it's gratitude, it's celebration and it's anticipation. Right. So I think about what I was grateful for, for the day. I set, I really get clear on like, what did I do today that I should acknowledge myself? We go through life usually and we just one day to the next, to the next, to the next. And now I celebrate, like I get really deeply present to what happened today. Like today, tonight guys, I'll be celebrating this interview and I'll be like, how, how fucking amazing that I had the opportunity to sit with you guys 
to sit with Sal and Adam and Justin and Doug, all right, and Rachel. No, that's not Rachel. Sorry. Uh, it, is. It, it is. It is Rachel. It is. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, um, you got it. You're behind the camera. Okay. Uh, the uh, I thought it was your twin, Rachel. So anyway, <laughs> I uh, right. I'm like you know, and like the fact that you guys had me here. Like I, so I try to be deeply like grateful and present, and that's how you get the most out of life, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't. I mean, how many millionaires and billionaires and celebrities are freaking on drugs and alcohol and uh, depressed yeah. as shit because. They don't know how to be present to how freaking amazing life is. So anyway, so I'm going into a, uh, the next book years from now, Miracle mm-hmm. Equation. But anyway, so, so I do this every night. And, and, and recently, back to the point, I was doing that my miracle evening. And um, I, I just like had this epiphany. I go, wait a minute. The Miracle Equation, like I hadn't really gotten connected to the mission. I'm so connected to the Miracle Morning mission, the Miracle Morning mission, right? Which is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. I live that. The Miracle Morning community, they're all rallied around that. And and as we, each individual person elevates our own consciousness when we wake up in the morning, we do the Miracle Morning, we elevate our own consciousness. We, you can't help but that being a ripple effect of elevating the consciousness of the people that you interact with, right? So that's a mission that I'm so focused on that this miracle equation was kind of like, all right, well, this is an extra thing. You know, it's going to help people. But I was so engaged and I realized, wait a minute, the miracle equation is its own mission and it's just as important because the majority of people live in a place of self-doubt and fear and they play small, right? I think that's how most of us do. And I've done it for most of my life, you know, a lot of my life and I still do it in different ways. Um, and I realized that, uh, and because of that, because they, that we have trouble seeing ourselves as bigger and better than we've ever been. Cause we check the rear view mirror. You go, that's who I am. I see, I, that's a, I got proof. Look at the last 30 years of my life. That's who I am. I'm nobody different except for who I am. And, and, and this book is the, like, I feel like this is the, it's like, great, do your practice, your miracle morning, but this is how you're really going to, you're going to take, create those tangible, measurable miracles and see, you know, not just learn and grow, but turn that learning and that growth into this tangible results where all of a sudden now the bank account balance is growing, your relationship is improving, your, you know, your career is skyrocketing, your business is, you know, skyrocketing on and on and on. So I am, and now I'm just, I'm very present to like, dude, this is like a second child. Mm -hmm. Miracle Morning has been my baby that I've been raising for, you know, 10 years. I just had my second baby and it's, it doesn't get any less attention, any less love. It's not any less important or relevant than, than the first child. And so that's, that's, you know, I'm on a new mission. Any, uh, any spiritual or religious background in you and your family? Um, I grew up Catholic. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself really religious. I go to church every week. Um, but for me, it's, it's more of a spiritual connection. Um, it's really much more about the, um, the inner, you know, not any one, religious dogma versus just kind of a connection to a higher power. And even I'm really, I really mesh science and spirituality, right? Like, I mean, there, there is proof that there is a energy that, Mm -hmm. you know, that we affect with our thoughts and and they've met, they can measure that. Right. So, so I bench, I very much, I pray every day, but it's not necessarily that I'm praying for God to do things for me. Right. Right. I'm praying to, it's to me, the intention, it's the energy that I'm putting out and it being reflected back. But I, 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 absolutely, you know, wh- whatever name, whether you call it God or mm. Allah or a higher power or, the, or you know, something woo-woo like the law of attraction, right. I absolutely believe in it. And I, I, I've seen two, my whole life is filled with these, call them coincidences, yeah. call them miracles, call it crazy luck. 
you know, that I'm just like, I'm blessed and grateful for all of it and, and connected to it and trying to, you know, use it for good every single day, that, that spiritual power. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of parallels there, you know, with daily devotionals and, you know, having spiritual practices. Uh, you know, I think that that's a major uh, loss in society today. And I think that this is a, another way to present it, I think, that might be more digestible for your average person. And that is something that, yeah, that like that I've really taken on is uh, like people will reach out that read Miracle Morning. They're like, you didn't mention religion at all, but I get the impression that you're, you know, from the book. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I like because I don't want to alienate anybody. I don't want to be like, mm -hmm. you know, here's my belief. And so, if you, and then people are like, oh, that's, I don't believe that, you know? So I just kind of, I just, to me, it's like, just live your truth, live your religion, live your spirituality, right? Without having to preach it, right, right. you know, and just live it and live the lessons, right? Like not the judgment or the condemnation or the, right? Just live the lessons, share the lessons, you know? And, and yeah, and to me, if you can, the more universal, I, at least for me personally, the more universal I can make the religious or spiritual truths yeah. that I live by, the more people they will impact and they will reach versus trying to, you know, to pigeonhole into this one specific belief system. Well, it's, it's ancient mm -hmm. wisdom and, mm -hmm. and these, these old spiritual practices exist for a reason. Sure. Yeah. They have a lot of their own ancient wisdom. What do you think of our society today? Do you think, uh, you think we're more or are less pessimistic today than we were a decade or two decades ago? Like, what do you think about our society today? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, an interesting question. I think that, uh, so Peter Diamandis wrote a book, I think, called Abundance. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm getting that right. And Peter Diamandis, who's a you know, futurist, um, basically was kind of a like, hey, the world's actually better than it's ever been. Yeah. If you watch the news, you think it's worse than it's ever been because your reality is whatever you focus on, right? And he goes, but here's the thing. All the news talks about is because it grabs headlines and sells advertising is the murders and the drug use and the crime, right? Y you could fill up 24 hours a day of television on good deeds, on things that people are doing to make a difference in the world, on clean water that's being delivered by organizations like Never Thirst and Charity Water, and right? I mean, on, you know, charities like the Front Row Foundation that I'm, I'm a board member of, like, you could spend that, you'd be like, oh my God, our world's freaking amazing. And there are more smart, beautiful, human, good-hearted people today that are trying to solve all the problems um, than ever before. With that said, there are terrifying things like global warming, and I'll probably, ah, global warming doesn't exist. Like, dude, anyway. All right, I mean, so <laughs> there are some terrifying things that we have in place that we, that as a society, we are doing that are kind of scary, right? And so it's like, so that's a little scary to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I do often wonder, I go, look, I have a voice. I, 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 and I do, sometimes I, I question, like, what is the biggest, how can I use my voice to make the biggest difference in the world? And right now I'm doing what I believe that is. I'm helping, if I'm helping people, if I'm elevating the consciousness of humanity, right? But there may be a day when my platform is big enough and when I've, I've, you know, I've shared the miracle morning with 5 billion people or 7 billion people in the miracle equation and like, all right, we all, I, I, I've got that out there. So I don't need to keep preaching that stuff. Now I'm going to talk about, hey, here's how we save the planet. You know what I mean? Like I, that's really is something that is in my heart. It's just like, it's timing for me. It's timing. Knowing that we get bombarded with all this negativity through news and social media and stuff like that and being a father, are there certain practices that you try to put in place with your kids so they, they, they have a, a better, they have an attitude more like you? I mean, what are you, what are you doing right now? I mean, the first is living by example, right? right. Your kids, I, I, there was a great quote I saw once on the wall of uh, my daughter's gymnastic class. And she said, be careful what you, something, be careful what you say to your kids because your words become their inner voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, that's powerful. 
you know? And, uh, and I mean, I think, you know, some two people are unconscious and we're, we're complaining all the time or we're being negative or we're yelling at our freaking kids. And, you know, it's like, you know, you don't yell at your friends. You don't berate your friends. Why the hell would you berate your children? Yeah. Right? Nobody's perfect. I mean, you know, we all lose our cool. But like for me, when I yell at my, here's a little bonus parenting tip. Like when I, if I, if I, if I, and I, I don't, I, anger is not a big part of my world and I, I let it go through meditation and all those things. So I'm not, I have very little anger. Um, but if I even raise my voice out of, like if I raise my voice out of kids, not usually anger, but like frustration, like I said six times, go freaking get the thing. You know, we got to go. We're late. Right. Yeah. As soon as I do that, I'm hyper aware and I almost always follow it with a smile and I go, sweetie, I love you. But like, it was enough to like shock the nervous system. And she's like, oh shit, I got to go get my backpack or like that. Right. But I literally, I don't let her sit with that for even five minutes Hmm. within usually five seconds or maybe a minute after she's gone and come back. I go, sweetheart, I love you to death. I'm sorry. I raised my voice. I just, I was, you know, I just, I had to get, get, let you know, you had to get it. So my daughter never sits with any kind of negative anger or emotion or anything, right? It's always speaking logically. Again, the way you would talk to an adult. To me, they're, they're just because their age isn't where ours is or their development, they're, to me, they're, they don't deserve to be talked down to, our no, children. No, that's a brilliant tip. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And Joe, and the last, I want to give you a bonus tip. The greatest, one of the greatest parenting advice I ever got was from Joe Rogan. You, you know, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't guess for parenting advice. And I, I implement this like crazy. He said, when my kids mess up, Instead of me going, you shouldn't do that. You're, you know, but most parents like condemn the kid. Like that's bad. That's terrible. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You're a, that's all right. And he, he said, that makes the kid feel disconnected from you. Makes them feel judged. It makes them feel shame. It makes them put, you know, feel like you're on a pedestal and they'll never be as good as you. He said, when my daughter messes up or my kids mess up, I, 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 I immediately look for something in my own life that I did that was the same, similar or the same. So I'll say, sweetheart, I actually did almost the exact same thing when I was your age. Yeah. And they go, you did? And it, yeah, and, uh, and let me tell you, but let me tell you how it played out. It was not good. So now, right, like, and he goes, they feel connected to you. They relate to you. They feel like you respect them. They feel understood. And they actually get the lesson. Because how many times do you yell at your kid with a lesson and they roll their eyes as soon as you turn away, right? You didn't get through to your kid through your anger and your yelling, but if you're like, I get it, I've been there. Here's what happened. They're like, oh my God. And they go back to school like, dude, my dad did the same thing that I did yesterday. Listen to what happened. Dude, I am never doing that again. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, like to me, that's the most brilliant parenting advice I've ever gotten. Right. Anything that they, they've they taught you about yourself? Um, It's a good question. I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to I'll put it in words, but uh, I mean, lots. I learn, I just, I, I, the biggest was just the capacity to love, right? Like, yeah. You never knew you could that the, the the level of love, the degree of love, the type of love that you have for your kids, you, you, I've never had for anything. Yeah, right. Not for my wife, not for anything. My wife always talk about like you're number one. Well, well, technically, you know, the kids are number one, but like right, like yeah. you know, depending on the context. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, they just they just taught me a capacity. They're normally love. a great reflection of yourself too. Like you see the th- qualities in them. Like oh shit, I do that. You yeah. know, yeah. these guys talk a lot about on the show. I love listening to them talk about. I'm getting ready to be a father, and oh, so I, I I love listening to other fathers talk about. You know, when I look at my kid and I catch them doing certain things, or I hear them say certain things, and I think, oh wow, that's like a mini version of myself. And some of the greatest growth sometimes comes from seeing that reflection in your children. Sure. So that's what I was alluding yeah, to. Yeah. No, and I definitely, I definitely see that. And it's, and you know, I, I think it's mostly positive, not to, not to be, you know, like I just because I really strive. That's the beauty of the miracle morning, right? Like 
if you want to be the best parent, like when we wrote a book called The Miracle Morning for Parents and Families, right? And But before we wrote that, or when I was like writing, I'm like, how do you be the best parent? You just do the miracle morning because that enables you to do the best version of yourself and to be calm and to be clear and to be, right? And and part of, before I did the miracle morning for parents, like I still had affirmations on how to be the best dad I could be. Right. So you think about that, when you start every day and you get, you meditate, you do affirmations, you get totally clear on being the dad, like what do I, how do I need to show up for my kids today? And for my wife, like I have affirmation about being the most, making my wife's life amazing. That's my goal every day to make her life incredible in every way I can. And every day I think of what can I do today to make my wife and my kid's life amazing. So most of what I see in them is positive because I, I'm intentional about it. Right. I don't react. I'm not, I don't get angry. So I just see, you know, now what I do see is like, I'm totally ADHD and my daughter's totally ADHD. So I don't, (laughs) I don't know if that's born with that or it's habitual or, you know, I don't know. So. <laughs> Maybe she'll be on sales like her dad was. She will. Oh, she's yeah. going to crush. She's just like, she's, it's got to be inborn because she's just like, she's totally like me. She will get up and she will, she can public speak. She's like, and she's nine, you know. That's, That's great, so man. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, Hal. Dude, this is my it's favorite been... interview I've ever done. Oh, is it really? Yeah. yeah. Seriously, yeah. I, oh, this is. You say that to everybody after yeah. you sleep with them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the fun part is before we, <laughs> yeah. no, I think it's probably because the, the, the threesome, foursome, fivesome we just had is, uh, yeah. 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 That's right. Right. Jordan, I'm doing Jordan Harbinger tomorrow. His show, and uh, he's got a. Oh, I thought you did Jordan. Task. I thought you did no. Jordan first. Oh, no, okay. I, I was telling yeah. Justin. Yeah. I was like, no, no, Jordan set this up so that I could practice and get all the. Kinks we were the warm up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Jordan. Yeah. It ended up being the best show I've ever done. So well, I'm, I'm gonna. I you guys enjoyed it. I tell you what, I'm, I'm also going to commit to the morning routine. So oh, I'm, I'm putting it that on air right now because I am definitely not that guy. And so I'll make sure to go through all the steps, start practicing, and then I'll report back to you. And you know, maybe we'll have you come back on the show again. And we'll t- give you get you caught up on how I, how, the success that I hopefully have with it, right? Absolutely. Well, and the, and the the Miracle Morning documentary comes out later this year. Oh shit! Which it took. We've been filming it for four over four years. Wow! Uh, and then I got cancer halfway through, so that threw off the documentary and it made the last third of it a cancer journey which was not part of the plan so anyway mm. so um yeah so if, when that comes out in a few months i'll, I'll, I'll love to hit you guys up oh for sure, yeah, sure. Definitely. definitely awesome man, All right, man. Cool. thank you Good i appreciate you. you guys man thank you so much thank you for listening to mind pump if your goal is to build and shape your body dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance check out our discounted rgb super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com the rgb super bundle includes maps anabolic MAPS Performance and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.